Hello. Welcome to Intimate Discourse. My name is Jason. This episode, Tripping the Light Fantastic, was recorded on June 26th, 2022 in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we really want to thank you for listening um, and I hope you have a great day. Every time this starts, I always um, think of doing the crusty, the crusty, the crusty. What was it, crusty the clown from Simpsons? Yeah, where he's like, hey, 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 <laughs> starting with the dramatic, like <laughs> scaring uh, the bejesus ever out of everyone. Uh, uh, my name is Jason, and I'm here with Dimitri. Welcome to Intimate Discourse. Um, and uh, today we've got a, a, an interesting topic. Uh, we hope for y'all. Um, we're going to be talking about broadly speaking, and it's hard to kind of get a good, um, definition for the, or a good, um, a good way to sort of encapsulate what we're trying to talk about today. But broadly speaking, it will be about, uh, what it, what it takes to live a good and meaningful life in today's society. Um, throwing out the disclaimer first, um, we are not necessarily proclaiming ourselves to be the arbiters of what. Uh, it takes to live a good and meaningful life. Um, we're just, you know, just two guys hanging out here. <laughs> we're just trying to uh, give you things the way we see it and maybe inject some of our, um, well, I think it's safe to say we will be injecting some of our own personal opinion, but also kind of looking things more broadly and giving a more um, uh, holistic kind of uh, look at this uh, this whole wacky thing we call life. Um, I think... The first thing that's important uh, to say right off the bat is that, um, and something I've sort of, you know, when I sort of reflect on my own life, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's entirely different to be somebody who, like, you can know what it takes to um, sort of live a good life and a meaningful life. You can know all those aspects and still not do it. Like, so much about, um, you know, living a good life has to do with the action and has to do with an almost uh, ineffable kind of um, uh, something beyond thought, like something beyond like, um, you know, a logic, I think. And it's almost this intuition that guides some people. Um, and uh, we can, we'll talk about that more later, but uh, I just wanted to make sure, you know, uh, that um, this isn't coming, we're not um, standing up on a mountaintop here, uh, um, trying to uh, recreate the commandments. This is just a, um, uh, this is just the world as we see it. And hopefully people can glean some, um, something useful in this. And um, as always, let us know what you think uh, afterwards. Um, Dimitri, how are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Very good. Good to be here. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an it's interesting. It's one of my favorite topics, you know, because <laughs> it's sort of just, you know, it's a little bit of everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's um, uh, it's just such a broad, you know, uh, such a broad topic. Like, like, um, and it kind of almost um, gets tantalizingly close to talking about God and spirit and stuff like that. Which I, you know, I have a great interest in. I'm sort of looking forward to us doing an episode on that. But I think this is a separate thing. And um, while it might, um, you know, dance along the periphery of that, I think that this is a very um, meaty topic as it is, uh, on its own. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So let's, uh, yeah, me too. 
let's launch into it. Um, uh, so I guess, you know, how do you define it, right? Like, um, do you have some sort of definition that you want to start oh, with or is that too? Uh, That's Wow, maybe maybe by the end of this we'll have the definition. Right, right. Yeah, we'll work in reverse. We'll work through. We'll yeah, Pulp Fiction. This, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, um, no, I don't have um, a clear definition because again, kind of like you alluded to, it's not something I think that you can really, to a degree, read. You have to experience mm. it. Yeah, and it's yeah. also something that's probably different for everybody. Like I, be, I think that there are certain almost guidelines, um, but I think that the the you know the guide the guidelines or the sort of go, the goalposts or the um, the template is really almost um, very structural, uh, very foundational. Whereas I think the specificity to each person is wildly different among people. For sure, for um, sure. What motivates them and what guides them? Yeah, I know for sure. What works for one person may not actually work for someone else. Yeah. It's your your circumstances are wildly different. Cultures. Um, predispositions to different uh, anxiety levels, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. One thing uh, I think is interesting is this whole, uh, you know, you, you have all probably, you may have heard this before, but it's, um, it is something that is, has always struck me. Um, the idea that when you're measuring happiness and there are metrics to measure happiness, um, uh, you can find, um, there's a type of happiness whereby people simply don't change throughout their lives where they have, um, I find that aspect fascinating, by the way, this, this idea of whether somebody can change or not change, like their, their personality, their motivations. Like I find myself almost hopelessly unable to change. And I, and I, I think it goes, I think it goes for people across the board. Like I, I, it's very seldomly that I encounter somebody who is drastically different than they were sort of when I knew them 20 years ago or whatever. Hmm. Um, and if you look at people's lifetimes, you sort of see these consistencies throughout their life as it's like, as if they were like, you know, they're sort of, um, you know, whatever constitutes them, it was sort of the same thing. And maybe over the years they sort of chipped away at some things mm -hmm. and they were almost like you had the base of a, of a marble statue. And it was like, you could, you could already make the, it was like, Oh, that's a uh, Bob. Mm. And then 20 years later, it's like, Oh, that's Bob. But I like what he did with his cheekbones. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and like, um, I think that that's something that he's is, really worked on his abs. Right, right. Right. I think that that's something where that's about the extent to which you can change. I don't know if mm. there's cases where people, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's gotta be some, but I, I, but I don't would, know how, how would you define in this case, the lack of change of failure? I think that change is really important and really difficult uh, for, especially for some people. I, I find change really difficult to deal with. Um, mm. But uh, I think it's, you know, a lot easier for probably most people, but it is also really important. I mean, that's what is, that's life, right? Like the evolution, mm -hmm. like that whole thing is you have to be able to change with the but environment. See if you, this is interesting. So, but if you were like, well, I'm basically who I was in my twenties mm -hmm. and now you're 50 or 60 or 70 years of age, have you missed an opportunity? If you haven't changed, if you haven't changed, yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends who you were. What were those 20s, years? Right? Yeah, <laughs> what were those years for? Right. Yeah, just yeah. monetary gain. You know, like um, things of that nature. Well, you know, sometimes you see these people. You know, I always hear about Keanu Reeves and like um, how how he's just kind of a real <laughs> actualized person. Mm -hmm. And I only say him because it was like. You know, I'm bombarded. You know, when you open up like Edge or any of these, like you just want to like go on, you know, do something on on the internet, and you just the the homepage is usually it goes to like 
Mm. I don't know if it's MSN or what it yeah, is, but it's yeah. like, it's just these, all these clickbait ads where you're just like, it's like irresistible to me mm. sometimes. Like this is just exactly what I want. And I mean, obviously this is a theme of this show is the fact that the algorithms are able to know this, but like, mm. I'm such a sucker for just like, I'll click on them. And it's like, so I see these, the Keanu Reeves thing where it's like, somebody's like, Whoa, what a great guy he is. Look, you saved this puppy from a tree or whatever. And it's like, and you hear that consistently throughout his career. And you're like, okay, you know what? Like, it does seem to be like, you know, all reports seem to indicate that this guy is just like a really good guy. And um, so if you're, maybe you're born like, you know, or you're, you know, you're in your 20s because, um, you know, you're in your formative years and your young years. I don't know if you're right out of the gate. You're just yeah. like a great person. Like you're some like babies. Like, it's like, no, you, ha you eat first or something, mm -hmm. mom. Um, but you get. I think when you get into like 18 or 20, you start becoming more actualized. And mm. maybe there are people that are that age that are, you know, just good the way they are, you know, and then they just like, it's like, oh, I just have to tread water now for the next like, you know, 50 years or whatever, 70 years. Yeah, um, could be. Um, you would, I, I don't know. I, I embrace change. Um, change is difficult though. Um, but uh, something, yeah. And maybe it's easier for others. Um, your starting points can be different. Like you said, whether it's familial, uh, genetic, whatever it happens to be your predispositions. But, um, when I look back at my life, it's the things that I was most sure about that later I changed my opinion on that make me smile the most. Hmm. Like, wow. Yeah. Never thought I'd come to that conclusion. Right. Man, was I wrong. And that I love those moments, you know, yeah. um, have I really changed though? I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I still had that sort of, um, affection for challenging the status norm even at 20. So the change was always built into me. I enjoyed it. Maybe that isn't actually like a, a feature over the 50 years or so. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Uh, it's a, that's a, I don't know if we'll ever answer that one, Jason. So I, I think that, um, mm. you know, what's interesting about this is you always hear the story of the guy who wins the lottery and then the guy who sort of loses his partner mm. or some other like tragic thing in their life. And their happiness level, say they're, you know, say one's a seven and one, say they're both sevens mm -hmm. or say they're both fives just to make, I don't know why I would have chosen arbitrarily seven. Um, so they're both fives. Guy who wins the lottery for like, I think it's like six to eight weeks after he wins the lottery, he goes up to like a 10 mm -hmm. or something like that, real mm -hmm. high. Mm -hmm. A person who loses their partner drops down to like one or two, real miserable for like six to eight weeks. And then over like almost mm -hmm. around that time, they always kind of come back to the mean. They always come back to that five. So it really kind of promotes that kind of a, and, and, and you know, that's, this is, this is a study, like this has, you know, been, this has been studied and that's what yep. they've come up with. So yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, it kind of promotes this idea of a static being almost where you, mm. you, you are who you are. You gravitate yeah. back. You can have things that rock you for a while, but you gravitate back to your natural. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it like the leopard doesn't change his spots or whatever that expression is where it's like, you know, Maybe we need to find a way to bake into society um, ways that we can um, embrace change and learn to change quickly. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this doesn't happen a lot, but we need to be able to make it happen. Maybe we we're do. missing something here. But speaking as somebody who is so internally resistant to change, and, and I don't mean, like, I would love to be good at change. I would love mm -hmm. to just be like, I'm, you know what? like screw this life i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do something else completely and just yeah. jump on that but i'm so every little step is like like wait a minute like i don't know about that i'm not comfortable mm -hmm. with that and um um but i see the i see some people who do this and it's just like i have a friend of mine who just travels around everywhere and it's just like i mean he was in um like last week he just went on his own to mm -hmm. and he you know he's married too mm -hmm. so he, he just went on his own to like 
uh, South Africa and Oman and Rwanda, just mm-hmm. as like a whirlwind, like Meh, whatever. And like before that, it was like South America. And it's but just, uh, may I guess that this friend, even 20 years ago, let's say, was still the same sort of uh, embracing change character? Yeah, I would say that. So his his uh, predisposition for change has always been the same. And I will actually, I'll tell you a, a bit, uh, another thing. So yeah, the funny thing, he used to work uh, in Toronto at a, like a law firm doing um, um, sort of technical work at a law firm. And, you know, we would hang out often and uh, one night, and he seemed to me to have a pretty good setup here. Mm-hmm. And one night I was out with him and he's like, you know what, I don't like... I, I think I'm going to go to Alberta and work on an oil rig. And I was like, why? Wow. And, um, <laughs> like it, and I was, I, I thought like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. Mm-hmm. And, but he did. And his reasoning was just, he wasn't happy in the city or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, and he went there, got really into mountain climbing, you know, found a great girl that he married. And like, uh, now he's, he makes very good money and he really sort of just followed his path and could like, it be his coping mechanism of sorts that's something he learned like um you know not fend off some sort of depression or something i need to change my life radically and shift it all up yeah and it's worked for him or he's learned to change in ways that get him to the next level i think he yeah like i, I think it takes a certain type of person like i remember I actually went on um uh, like a kind of a mountain track with him and he's really really good or at least he was like i, I don't know mm-hmm. how much he does it anymore but like you know, and he would do a mountain every weekend and things like that. But like I would, I went up because I visit when I visited him uh, at one point, I went on one with him and it was like, you know, like the Kitty Hill or whatever. And we went to the top and I was like, I was like, okay, this is like freaking me out. Like I was yeah. like, re- I'm like, yeah. wow, this is really, really high. Like this is a mountain, yeah, like yeah. literally on a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, you know, fairly terrified and he's sitting on the edge of like, like just like his legs hanging over, like eating mm-hmm. his lunch. I'm like, man, like back up from the, like, I, I like, I can't even take the picture. Like the vertigo is going to make me fall over, <laughs> fall over. <laughs> and I'm like, but it's that mentality. Cause I, and I said to him, I'm like, aren't you afraid? Like legitimately, aren't you afraid of falling off the mountain and dying? Like, mm-hmm. and he's, and he said, uh, yeah, I guess. Like, I he's like, I don't want it to happen. Mm. It's just that it's um, uh, he wasn't I, an adrenaline junkie, was he? Like, he no, needed to feel really. alive. No, he's not. Like, thing? and no. if you met him, you'd be, yeah. you wouldn't even think he would do this. But it's mm. like he he just had this in it in him where he was like, um, he's like, yeah, you know what? I guess if I if I did fall off, like like he was very based on practical. He's like, well, why would I fall off? This is very solid where I'm mm-hmm. sitting. And like, even though, you know, his legs are hanging over, he was like, you know, I would have to move, thrust forward to I, fall off. You know what? I just don't think he was thinking about it. And you Maybe. were thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it's as simple sure. as that. He's yeah, like, yeah. I didn't even cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to think about such a thing? I'm yeah. fine here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in my mind, I'm like 10 feet away and yeah, I'm like, yeah. this is like... Yeah, yeah. like hyper intelligent, hyper, um, you know... Uh, you're tuned into detail there and seeing, you know, potential things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And wow, that's, you know, maybe that's a worldview of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think that, yeah, but I think his, I think that being adaptable to change is something that comes with that type of personality. Like I'm. Is being a little naive or like almost, I don't want to use the word dumbed down, but you know, in a sense, uh, naive to the things that can go wrong an actual benefit in life. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, because maybe you can't see how that would be much of a benefit. Well, if Steve Jobs knew how hard it was to create a, a computer company, mm-hmm. and he was intelligent enough to see how hard this mission was, mm-hmm. or Alexander the Great, I'm a really, I'm 21 years old. If they could actually see how hard these uh, uh, missions they put in front of them were, would they have ever done them? Right, right. There's a certain amount of, and I don't think his ego, 
because everybody's got a, a fair amount of ego. I think there's a certain amount of just like, I didn't even consider that. I just went for it. Right, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like Steve Jobs, you know, apparently his whole thing was like he would just, ha you know, have his vision. He's just like, this is the way I want it. Just figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's almost that sort of overweening confidence that it's... Force of will. Yeah. But I wonder how many people are like that and it just doesn't work out like that. And then you're like, oh, okay. Uh, you're like, just like, just make it work. And then like 10 years later, they're like, we're <laughs> you know, an assembly line or whatever. And it's like, um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting to see what makes... Uh, that type of person but yeah evolutionarily speaking it wouldn't make sense to me that that kind of person would um necessarily survive as long because if you're naive mm. to the dangers of the world like you know you're on a mountain or whatever and you i don't know, know if surviving he's for like, as long is even a concern i don't think their brain even goes there well that's what i'm saying but that's mm. why it's like you know if we're on a mountain or if another thing like if there's a jaguar that's mm. coming up to us and i'm the one who's thinking like oh jesus mm -hmm. like that's terrifying like mm. i gotta get up on a tree or something and the jaguar's like yeah i can climb trees yeah. <laughs> but then but uh, you know my friend's just like oh that's weird and just kind of like goes up to pet it or something it's like yeah. who, which one's gonna live longer right well like, it's gotta be something evolutionary in there because if you weren't you know enough people in your ancestry lineage were not afraid of jaguars you wouldn't be here today yeah you know, so there's, there's a nice balance built in something. there yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um uh, i don't know i i'm i'm a very like i'm a very like homebody but i've had a life where i kind of travel around a bit and some people are like wow this is like really crazy what are you doing in this country living here and investing all your money in it and mm. it never even occurred to me that it wasn't the right thing to do or worth the time and effort yeah you'd kind of just thrust forward and failure in a sense isn't an option because you're just all in right and when you're just continually all in you're like what is failure yeah. Like what define failure? Yeah. Like, am I going to die? Well, die doing what? Living my life to its fullest? Still not a failure. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like what, what really is going to go wrong? Mm -hmm. um, and for me, always, it's been like, if I don't take that chance, that is the failure. Yeah. So you're, you're looking at it um, with the dichotomy of failure, success, as opposed to survival and non-survival i guess sure but even survival isn't like the end goal in a sense yeah know? no exactly exactly it doesn't even cross my mind yeah. it's just like this is it this is my one chance i will regret and i hate this i regret the things you you know yeah, did yeah. Stuff. but um if i don't do this it will haunt me forever mm -hmm. so we have to do this it is just logical let's go forward and do this yeah so i think your friend may be something of we're cut a little bit yeah. from the same part of the cloth yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that a lot of, I mean, Elon Musk is the same thing. He's all in on his stuff, right? He builds, uh, he's like, remember SpaceX? Like, yep. where he's just like, he's like, that's it. We have to have this launch work or, yeah. you know, I'm bankrupt. And it's like, you know, just that, um, yeah, it's it's more than a confidence. It's like just a, almost like you've got to make life worth living. Otherwise, what's the point anyway? It's like the failure that you're seeing is not the failure I think they're seeing. His failure would be as if, if I never tried, that's the ultimate failure. Right. If I try it and it doesn't work, that's not actually the ultimate failure. Yeah. The ultimate failure is not even, try, not even trying to begin with. So therefore, I have to try. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, when you reduce it down to that, it's, it's, it logically makes sense. For me, and you know, not to, I guess, dwell on this, just for me, mm -hmm. I know that the, I can logically figure that stuff out. It's like the idea of being like, I logically know what's the right path and I logically know what's good, but it's that um, kind of, um, it's the acting or it's the, it's the, it's the stepping forward. It's the mm. stepping off of the space capsule onto the moon. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's that, that giant leap that you need to do that makes, and you have to do it in the, all the right times, you know, when you feel that 
pull, you have to act at that point. Mm. And if you don't, I do think that that's a failure. And I think that there's, you know, I mean, you know, you can, you ne maybe don't necessarily know in the moment, but I think that, um, you know, the people, if you want to talk about like, uh, you know, a survival kind of thing, the people in the caves who are like too afraid to go out to actually, you know, like, you know, somebody's saying like, you know, I think of Watership Down, you have to migrate a whole um, colony of people. You're like, no, this, this area is going to be, um, I'm trying to think of a, a sort of human equivalent of this, but like, uh, if you have people in an area, they're like this, this area, like our, our, every year our crop yield is lower and lower. So like they start thinking, we've got to move, we've got to move everything. We got to take a chance, go across the desert, go somewhere else where, where, you know, there's been reports of like, uh, you know, uh, bigger crop yields and like, sure. f like lush valleys and everything like that. There's going to be people who make that journey um, or, and then there's going to be the people that are like, you know what, the crop yield is slower. Some of these people are leaving. We'll, we'll make this work and then we'll think about it some more. It's like in that movie. Well, we need everyone. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly. You're hedging exactly. your bets. Right. Right. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, you, have you ever seen uh, Alive? The, uh, in the, in the, the, in the Andes mountains. In the Andes mountains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you remember there's the two guys, there was like Ethan Hawke's character. Yes. I forget the other yeah, guy's name. Yeah. But like, and Ethan Hawke was like, no, like, it was like, we have to go, we have mm. to go find mm. people. We can't just wait here for a rescue. Mm -hmm. And the other guy's like, no, it'll come, it'll come. And he just didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. Like those are, that's the same, I think, um, uh, Energy, dichotomy, yeah. those two. Like, I think that we're talking about where it's like the person who can change and the person that. Look, has, it could just be random chance. Sometimes you're going to be right. And sometimes you're going to die, you know, and then you yeah. need actually, this is right. I get like, I'm a big fan of diversity and multiculturalism and everything because you need the entire spectrum, mm -hmm. like nature, God, whatever you want to call it, knows what it's doing and has dispersed everybody <clears> with a certain, uh, a curve, you know, of uh, allocated uh, biological traits, and we need, we actually need everybody. Right. We need the risk takers and the stay-at-home homebodies. You know, there's no. I don't know if there's like, like I, I get a sense you're trying to find a better way to emulate in a sense, and maybe just, just we should just be ourselves. Well, yeah. So I guess that becomes being oneself. Like, what does that mean, right? Because the the idea is that that sort of implies that we must have been all who we were supposed to be when we were born. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, it takes away, like I was saying earlier, the personal growth and uh, challenging yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that you need that. And I think, you know, we're talking about sort of the good life. And, you know, I sort of preface this by saying that, like, you can know what it is and not necessarily do it. I think it's two separate sort of, like, talents. There's a big difference. And this is where I, one thing I've learned in my life, that you can spend a lifetime in a library reading books. And sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like that's almost like you're hiding from the world. I would just one more degree and I'll be really ready yeah, to yeah. conquer the world. Yeah. Or you can just... Be like an immigrant, jump on a boat. What country am I landing in? I don't know. I need to make something work for me. And yeah. learn to make your your intuition. In So people who survive that sort of journey and flourish from it have like, you know, after a couple of years or decades, have a finely tuned sense of intuition. Right. Because that's what they've had to lean on their whole life. And yeah. that is exceedingly powerful, like in an everyday sort of way too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you want to... Do you want to talk about what it feels like to jump in a lake and, you know, all the ways you might feel sensations or just jump in the lake. Right. You know? Yeah. That's a good, uh, a good way to put it. It um, sounds so brute force, you know, but sometimes I think we can almost like talk ourselves out of things. Yeah. You know, or, or we're like you said, you're just not going onto the edge of the cliff enough because you're rationalizing all the ways this could be dangerous or just go to the edge of the cliff. See how it feels. Maybe it's not your nature to be there, but sit there for five minutes and challenge yourself. <laughs> well, 
Yeah. Right? That's did, easy did to you, say when we're sitting Did in. you sit down beside your, your friend no, for five minutes? No, I didn't. See, so there's an opportunity there. No, I, I would say that that is a little much. I can get the whole, uh, you know, like I didn't mind, like I'll climb the mountain, but like, I'm not going to like, uh, I mean, climbing the wait, mountain wait, I'm is... I'm going to call you out on this. If you okay. sat down beside him, yeah. what would have happened? I would have fallen over <laughs> with a hundred percent certainty. I would have fallen over. We wouldn't be here today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying though? Like, like yeah. for the most part, you would have an added, an added human experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's important. I think there are areas, like my added human experience there was climbing the mountain in the first place. Like sure. I think there's kind of degrees of that. Like sure. I do think that, I know what you're saying, and I think it's important to challenge yourself to do things like that are outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the trick is kind of knowing what's reckless and what's um, of course what's sort of outside your comfort zone, but within the realms uh, of, of like, yeah. you know. Well, um, to quote my to quote my father. He, he loves this sort of, I don't know, maybe it's from like a Nike, Nike commercial, but he, these things sort of it's grab like, him. Just as a, do it. Yeah, it's something very similar. It's like you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Right. <laughs> Somehow good, he, uh, he caught it and he's, he's like, this, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he loved it. He loved it. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe there wasn't, maybe like you said, you had enough of your own personal, uh, you know, challenging yourself and you had reached your limit there. Mm -hmm. And that was already outside of the box enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm definitely not advocating like a, a risky lifestyle or anything right. like that, but um, you know, living in your basement and never experiencing life either is certainly going to have a detrimental effect. It's like, well, this is just my nature. I've always loved being in the basement since I was a teenager. So, and this is, and that's kind of brings us, I think, to another area. So, for example, like, um, and just so for our listeners, like, I don't even know if I should say this, but you know, we really don't like we sort of prepare things separately for these episodes. So we know the general theme and we, mm -hmm. both Dimitri and I will prepare things um, on our own independently. We could be going in completely different directions. So we never really know when we come to sit down, like it's very rare that we'll be like, okay, so, you know, what do you want to, like we, we don't usually have a group, like a kind of a synopsis for the show. No. We usually just have our own synopses and then kind of like see where it goes. Um, so yeah, what, I don't. What you're hearing is happening on the fly. Right, right. Yeah, really, it's yeah. all live. It, 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 well, it, it, and it really is. You know, and it's that. Yeah, I have notes. I don't know if you have notes on your side there, but uh, <laughs> just a blank screen. <laughs> it's like yeah. terrifying you to look over. It's wow, like just a yeah. blank page. Um, but um, it's um, that's the that's the beauty of it because I think then that when we really hit our, our magic moment is when we have sort of like our ideas, but then you know you spurn a different. It's kind of like mm -hmm. living the good life in a sense. You know, like you're challenging me, and I'm just going with the flow. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Um, but yeah, so I guess sort of the downside of that though is like we don't like for example like now I'm thinking like because one of the things I thought we should touch on is like I think a lot of kids today because of technology because it's so sort of enticing to um, you know sit down and like just immerse yourself into some online mm -hmm. um, you know presence that it, um, and it and it's very appealing uh, but I think and I think a lot of people sort of get lost in that like and sort of years tick by while they're, um, you know, almost fortifying themselves to participate in the real world while um, having their own kind of virtual world that is increasingly draws them in more and more. It's become something of a word that I've learned to abhor in the last decade. It's become very safe. Right. Safe just is, I don't think there's anything that can be more dangerous than too much safety. You know, you have to just really like yeah. get, get um, comfortable um, risking, suffering, 
losing, mm-hmm. challenging yourself, just getting comfortable with all that, you know? Um, going up to that girl at the bar and saying hello. Not particularly safe in that moment, but you might grow from it like in ways you never expected. Right. You know? Yeah. And they just take that attitude, that way of being across every part of life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's, um, and again, that that's become something where it's like, I think even, you know, I'm thinking about, um, I have this archetype in my head of who I'm talking about, where it's just like this, the, the sort of the person who's like living in their mother's basement and is, you know, been there for maybe a decade and, you know, past the point where they should be kind of like getting a job or whatever. And, um, you know, not really interacting with a lot of people outside, like you said, like not going out into bars or, yep. where, or wherever, picking up, uh, or not picking up, whatever. Like, huh. So derogatory, Jason. Um, uh, and I think that there's, um, but, but it, I think the archetype exists. Like, I think there are more people that are kind of doing that and they, there might be some tweak to it. Like maybe they have their own place or something, oh, but they're mostly spending time, you know, afraid of taking steps that would be like, it's a lot easier to go on. Um, what is it? Tinder? Is that the kind of the, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so like going on there, it's very impersonal, very like, you don't really invest much of yourself. Like I've literally never used the app before. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, uh, um, the way I imagine it to work is you just kind of what I've heard is like, you kind of like, um, click on a profile, you meet, you have sex maybe, or whatever you want to do. Um, I don't even know if people are, I just find the whole thing very, um, missing a crucial part that I think, again, like sort of in our day, uh, or, and in sort of generations before to an even greater extent where you didn't have the, you couldn't rely on that kind of technology. Um, you actually really had to sort of motivate yourself to go out and yeah. be like, look, if I want to, if I want to meet a girl, I have to go out to this, I have to go somewhere and uh actually meet one like yeah. um and and just uh it just came to me as you were saying that like and when i was saying like the word that the word safety in the sense tinder provides a safe space that you know your heart isn't going to be broken in a sense because right. you both have a sort of a contractual sort of idea of what this date may turn into yeah yeah right so you're protecting your heart mm. you're keeping it safe but in doing so you are potentially opening yourself up to physically harming yourself Right. Like, who are these people? Do you know them well? What is their history? So yeah. again, it becomes like a, it can become a net negative quite quickly. Right. And it, and it takes a lot less courage to do to meet somebody off of Tinder than it does to ask out the girl at work that you that you like and have Which a good relationship. Only with. enhances but, the yeah. amount of physical danger you could be putting yourself into because right. the barrier is quite low. Yeah. Yeah. Barrier yeah. of entry. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, have you ever heard of like Biosphere Two, the 1980s project? I've heard of, yeah, the bi, I've heard of it. Is it kind of that they live in a dome? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a Polly Shore movie that they think might have been <laughs> yeah, sort of right, uh, deriving loosely all around, which I didn't yeah. know it was like maybe based off like a real thing. But yeah, so apparently like, you know, they were trying to test, you know, like different types of vegetation, probably like livestock too. And they're like, and giving the what they thought was the most ideal conditions and see how everything grows. And potentially, I guess, for, you know, different uh, extra planetary living, you know. Yeah. Um, at any rate, um, what happened? One of the things that I found fascinating about this was they noticed that the trees were dying before they reached full maturity. I'm like, well, why is this happening? We have like the perfect temperature, right amount of sunlight. Why are the trees not reaching maturity? And they found that they were missing one critical, one, one critical um, element inside the artificially produced, you know, biosphere, wind. 
And what does wind do to a tree? Like why, why did, why it's got air, it's got sun, it's got water, it's got mm. nice soil. Why does it need wind? Well, the stress that wind puts on the tree itself strengthens the actual core wood of the tree. Mm. And then that allows the roots to even go deeper. So that correct amount of stress actually enables the tree to reach full maturity. Mm. So without that stress, with more safety, you're actually hurting the tree. Right. And I think that's a really, you know, interesting sort of like, um, we're all from nature, right? So it's an interesting sort of analogy to where we are in the world today. Yeah. You know, the biosphere is sort of a safe space right. where you remove stressors. But in the end, you're actually weakening humanity, not strengthening, you know, yeah. individual humans. Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because I think that's a great analogy for what, you know, we've talked in, um, you know, our virtue signaling episode about like, um, just sort of what to these days, it seems like society is very coddled. And is that about, you know, and, you know, the fact that people are so sort of sensitive to, to issues that might not necessarily be um, something that is affecting them at all. Um, you know, not that, not to say that people shouldn't have empathy or whatever, but, but the fact that it's like taking such a personal toll on them seemingly, mm. um, uh, you know, you have to think like, okay, we're creating a, a society of, um, wimps, I guess. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, and, and trees that will break. Eventually. Well, you know, like suffering is essential for empathy because if you haven't actually, now you can feel what the other person has been through. Right. Yeah. Right. So if Good I've point. never actually suffered a little bit, mm -hmm. then I'm going to have a harder time connecting with someone who is going through suffering. Yeah. So by removing too much suffering from life, you're going to start to, I think, see less empathy amongst humans, which again goes back to the digital world. You know, you start isolating, you know, social isolation, you're on Tinder, you know, you're, you're very not, you're physically connected, but not emotionally or spiritually connected to people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. And I, and you know, it just becomes more and more meaningless. The, um, the sort of affectations toward empathy where you're saying like, you know, you're saying all the right words and you're, you know, even producing crocodile tears, but none, mm. nevertheless, it's not real and you're not actually experiencing empathy and humans are, we're incredibly, you know, adept at reading each other's nonverbal cues, mm -hmm. like, you know, to the point where, you know, like AI, you can't get it. It's extremely difficult for people to be able to replicate like if you were a robot, uh, unless you have a really big surprise for me today, like if you were a robot and I was talking to you, I, you know, I would be able to tell just from mm. your facial features, like mm. the slightest, you know, yeah. there's a uh, lot of language. Or, going yeah, on yeah, a lot of language going on. Yeah. And um, so, like we know, we're on some level, we're picking up on those, um, we're picking up on those cues. So it's like if people are not being sincere with their empathy, or people are being, you know, we're, we're not getting that. You know, we, we, we almost feel obliged to be like, okay, thank you. You're on my side. Thank you for, mm. um, you know, being empathetic toward me. But our actual brain is having a tough time reconciling what, what they're saying with what they're, how they're acting because you don't feel the empathy. For sure. For sure. And yeah, um, we, we all evolved around, you know, campfires for three hour conversations, mm -hmm. you know, so having, you know, the Twitter verse and just um, trying to catch people's emotions in a sh short little burst of text. You just, it's just, it's really going to, it can almost, I think, reprogram the way our brains are used to interacting with one another. Yeah. You know, you got to make quick snap decisions on good person, bad person, yeah. as opposed to any nuance in between. Right. When you have a three hour conversation around a campfire, as we evolved to do, mm -hmm. there's nothing but nuance. 
Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good point. You know, uh, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before. There's, um, so they've done the, so they've done studies on, uh, like, uh, CGI and films. And like, mm-hmm. they've found out that these days, um, because of like the emotional responses they're getting from people watching films with a lot of CGI in it is not as strong as you would get in a comparative film using um, sort of an older, a, more, a, a less computer sort of simulating sure. technology, which yeah. is amazing to me because it doesn't yeah. look as realistic. If you look at an yeah. old, like even Star Wars, like the original yeah. uh, trilogy and really the only trilogy there, <laughs> uh, um, you, you know, you can't, um, you know, it does, it, it looks like, I mean, now we've we've seen documentaries on everything. So you know that they're all small models and everything, mm-hmm. but it's like, um, it's like, in, in theory, the CGI stuff looks better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and yet, um, you derive more emotional uh, fulfillment out of out of the non-CGI um, sort of... It's like the irrational brain versus the irrational brain. Yeah. It, Rationally, everything looks more clear, mm-hmm. shiny, more yeah. perfect, uh, glare, whatever, on the CGI version. Mm-hmm. But I think when you have the more uh, practical effects, despite it not looking as real, the brain interprets it as more tactile, and therefore, because you feel like you can touch it, sense it, feel it, smell it, it becomes more real to you. Yeah. And it's that feeling that you're not going to get out of simply, you know, having an algorithm analyze, does this one look more real than that one? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, I find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, um, Things are not as simple as they seem. I know. They, they aren't. Yeah. And we're smarter than we give ourselves credit for, like our brains are anyway. <laughs> if they're two separate <laughs> things, like... Um, yeah, um, just to, just to go back to suffering, because it sounds like such a morbid concept, but you know, again, you know, when you go to the gym and you work out, it's a, it's a form of mm-hmm. suffering, you know, yeah. or, or, or studying for years in university. It's certainly not as fun as you had gone to Aruba for four years and just lived the soft life, you know, right. but it's a form of where you're growing. So a cer- I'm really a big fan of like applied pressure in a certain way, kind of like, you know, turns coal into a diamond. Right. It's the exact same. And I wonder if we're, we're if we have less um, in Western modern culture, let's say, suffering today than we did a hundred years ago, um, is the pain that we feel when it comes time to feel pain feel worse than it did to our ancestors? Interesting. Or does it even feel the same? You know, even though we're not, you know, you had people who were dying of cholera, at like yeah. you know, twenty five or whatever. Um, Miscarriage, you know, obviously tragic, you know. Yeah. But when you had a whole bunch of them and life was much more fleeting, you know, did that miscarriage hurt that person 200 years ago to the degree it hurts today? Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, we live in Canada. Our life expectancy is 82 years. We've mm-hmm. got, um, and, you know, a lot of people can are living a lot more than that because yeah. you've uh, sort of in the, the extreme, like, you know, if you're, if you have the blessings of like, you know, a good family structure and the blessings of, a, you know, like a decent amount of, wealth or not a decent amount, but even above poverty line, I'd say. Um, and, um, and, you know, decent health. Uh, you can live a lot longer. You know, we've got great food. We've got, um, I mean, I think there's some problems with like soil, the soil and like, sure. it's not as nutritious or whatever, yeah, For sure. but for our, sure. but our medicine, like our, you know, we've, we've really, um, you know, we have a lot of amenities. We have a lot of, um, uh, you know, or the conveniences, conveniences, and the, the just the science we're able to apply, um, and it is is all such to promote this like much better world. And like even even in socially speaking, like you know, you have like a lot more tolerance. So there's a lot more, um, um, 
uh, opportunity. Diversity, yeah. opportunity. And, you know, you don't come in, you're, you you have the ability to do just about anything you want. It's sort of the American dream is sort of becoming um, uh, realized for more and more people. And it becomes a real thing that you can sort of, um, I think, almost to some extent um, bank on um, where you can say like, look, if I really, if I really want to, and I really want to put the effort in and I want to put the imagination in and I want to, you know, if I, if I have a great idea, like there's a way that I can kind of make this happen. Like I realize there's realities and it's not easy and it's not like, and, and it's not like the, the starting gate is the same for everyone. No, there is, there's, there's yeah, differences not, there. Yeah. But like that being said, compared to say a hundred years ago, or, you know, like thinking of like England, even in the 19th century, it's like, you know, uh, it's a lot better, you know, our, there's no, like there's some pollution, but it's pretty mild. Would you argue city. then that perhaps metaphorically America is the most self-actualized of all countries? It has lowered the barriers in which you can become the full person you're always meant to be yeah. more so than any other country that came before it. I think so. The I, new world, you are born again in a sense. Yeah. Like I think America has had a bad sort of like last 10 years, but I mm -hmm. think other than that, I think you know, technology has really had a lot to do with what's wrong with America today. But I think, and ironically, because it's also had a lot to do with what's good about uh, America today. But like, um, I think that, um, yeah, America is probably the template for really what the great stuff, the great parts of America are what is, is the template for how I think we should be living as a society. Like I think in principle, that's the, the, the best way to live. Um, well, judging by the steady march of feet coming there through immigration, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of just tells you that's democracy in action. Yeah. Like yeah. literally everybody from every shape, size, color, creed, race mm -hmm. is trying to move there. Yeah. More than any other single country. And it's definitely, I'm not making some rant, I'm some pro-American. It's definitely not perfect. Right. But I think they've created something that has lowered the uh, barrier to entry more than any other country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, and I think that a lot of it is just based on the, how it was, you know, their sort of founding principles, like this whole, like, you know, we're all created equal, the, um, um, the various freedoms that are, um, sort of declared in their original constitution and, um, bill of rights. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're the gold standard as it were. Yeah, I would agree. And yeah, like um, something I wanted to say about America is that the fact that America has been so you know uniquely successful in the last hundred and fifty years, um, with uh, you know it was one of the most diverse places on earth, uh, most freest, most democratic. Uh, I mean, obviously there's issues, but I I wonder sometimes if that it's become a victim of its own success, and that now because things have gone so well for so long, we're starting to look for problems on such a minute detail that, as you can see through immigration, uh, the world is such a mess, other people aren't even looking at those problems. Like, really? Yeah. You're concerned about that? Oh my goodness, like, you, you guys are really okay. And right. so that's, it's turning, um, it's almost like it's eating itself from within because we're getting like hypersensitive about issues within our own Garden of Eden that we've created, let's say, and we're like tearing it apart, trying to make even a better version. Yeah, And that, yeah. that, that perfection, because this is the real world and there's no mm -hmm. such thing as perfection, um, may never, can never be really be found. Right. You know, and so you know, be careful, like just don't push it. Don't try to be too perfect in it. I mean, always try to be better, but um, don't devour yourself. Right, yeah. It's like the obsessive, um, 
you know, writer or painter who is just will take nothing less than perfection. And it's like all these masterpieces, they kind of like tear up in a rage because it's like, oh, that one thing was just not yeah. right. And, and it's like, meanwhile, you're, you know. And it isn't like that, that, that painter isn't wrong, but they're missing the bigger picture because yeah. they are so focused on that mm -hmm. detail. That's what made them great to begin with by right. being focused on all the errors. But now they have to know how to like almost diminish that aspect or turn it off a little bit. Otherwise you will devour your, devour yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great, um, it's, it's a great, um, um, and I think you can say that, you know, in your personal life too, like you know, nobody's perfect. We've all tried our best for the most part. I think most people wake up in the mornings and just want to, you know, have a great day and, you know, um, uh, live a good life and make a few people chuckle and, you know, get, get on with it. Yeah. But, uh, looking to try to satisfy ourselves by, um, chasing the, um, you know, there's a fine line between ambition and greed, right? And I think sometimes what's happened in the modern world is that we're externalizing our uh, happiness on materialistic goods. And that chase to get the materialistic good, just like the other one is devouring itself from within, we're overstressing ourselves, trying to capture things that really won't add much benefit to our lives in the long run. Mm. Like for instance, during lockdown, like my, my business was closed a total of 10 months. It was kind of like a snapshot of what retirement is gonna be like, you know, or a sabbatical or something. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't have any financial concerns. I knew my business was going to survive. My house was going to be fine. And it was um, really kind of a renaissance. I enjoyed myself. But there is also that sort of like languishing that comes in, a lack of purpose, a lack of uh, direction. What are you on this earth for? And, and we filled it with wonderful things. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, if that is what Buddha was sort of talking about, where you had everything you desired, but still it didn't create happiness, like it, it was really kind of a snapshot into that that way of thinking right like i literally do not have to go to work every single day and all my bills are taken care of my car is in great condition my business will survive i have great health and yet something was missing right you know and what is that thing that's missing you know yeah um that's interesting there, there's a couple of things there uh, i guess first just to you know um go off of what you just finished saying like you you said something in uh, another discussion we had where you were talking about how you sort of visualized um, or you like to visualize your sort of soul before it was born or, mm. you know, and you were thinking like, well, if you had, if mm. you had the chance to live for 80 years or whatever, mm -hmm. um, or hundred years or, you know, 120, I don't know. Bring you ever, it on. Some people, there's this one guy, um, Dave Asprey, who's like very confident he's going to live to be like 160 for whatever reason he has like mm. some number in mm. his mind, but he's really into like biohacking and everything like that. When and you hear those higher numbers, how do you feel? Do you feel like, oh God, no, or like, yeah, I, I feel, go yeah, further. I want to yeah. go further. I, yeah. you know, I, I mean, obviously I don't want, you know, the oldest person in the world, I think was 122 or something like mm. that. Like, I really hope we break those barriers and I hope mm -hmm. we do it in a way where it's like, you still have the quality of life. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you don't expect to be running marathons or whatever, but it's like, um, you'd like to be able to do the things you don't want to be dependent necessarily on like, you know, the system or you don't want to be hooked up to a bunch of machines, obviously. Mm -hmm. But like, if you can still have something that makes you happy, um, you know, we've been talking, you know, I hate to keep digressing, but like we've been talking recently, like at, at my place, my, um, partner is really into, um, well, we, we have two dogs and like, she's really into dog groups and things like that. And very like interested in sort of, um, you know, rescuing and involved in rescuing groups and everything. And there's this one friend of hers who's, whose, um, dog is sort of at the end of their rope. Like, uh, and, um, she's been 
they've been so she's been my partner has been asking on forums and stuff like hey like when do you know it's the end when do you know it's time to kind of cut the cord because you love this dog so much and um there are all these but you see all the ailments you see they're not just maybe enjoying it and where's the line that you think Mm -hmm. and like the sort of the responses that come back are like you know it's where you see that um, you know, cause the dog can't tell you, obviously a human's a little different, but, um, when, when you see that they're just not taking enjoyment, there's no enjoyment in their life anymore where it's just like waking up, going to bed. Yeah. But if you do see enjoyment and, you know, of course, and, and, and there's no possibility of change, like maybe there's an operation or whatever, but like, um, if you just see it, it's just like sort of like a degenerate, like it's just going to degenerate more and more as time goes by. And already they're at a point where they're not enjoying it. Then that's the time where it's like, look, you, yeah. you should do the sort of right thing for the dog at that point. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think with humans, like, um, we can, you know, and I fully support if a human or human, if a person wants to say that they want to be, you know, euthanized or whatever. And I think here in Canada, that's legal now or soon July 1st or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. There's a young, I think a 20 year old boy that's going to go through it. Right. Right. And you know, like just tragically sad, but like, I do think that everybody sort of, you know, after having the right counsel and everything, course, like they course, should yeah. they make their own decision. Yeah, like, yeah. um, but you know, you get into that. I think as long as I can kind of like do the things that I love doing that are, you know, can't do everything, but as long as I can still do some of them, I'd like to live to be as long as I can, you know, like I, I have no wish to like, you know, eternity is a long time. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to postpone it for a few decades, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I fully intend to go as far as I can push it. That's basically how I live my life and everything. Yeah. I'm going back again, adapting to, you know, to change. Like, let's, let's push it. This is it, you know? Yeah. Not that I feel like a quality life has to have, like, the duration has got something really to do with the quality. Right. You can be a short story and be really impactful or write a, mm. or write war and peace and just, like, bore people to death at the same time. Like, you can, there's a lot of impact that can reverberate for generations in something small. Um, that being said, you know, the mindset you know, just how you approach every day. I think your mm. body just gets into sync a little bit with it. Um, diet, of course. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. Like, I've become a big fan um, of Wim Hof and, you know, ice baths and cold showers and deep breathing. And uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm reading a book now. Can we, should we digress into the yeah, book yeah, I'm reading sure. a bit? Because it's quite, it's kind of um, exactly where we're at right at the moment. Okay. And it's a, uh, I'll keep it simple because it's a little heady and can sound, I know, initially a little out there. But basically... What it is is that we're all following in this world, ancient, uh, a religion with no name that we've kind of just, it never really had a name because it's just the way we all lived in like, you know, back in the pagans, Mesopotamia, Egypt, India, um, the mysteries. And what it was basically, and that we're still doing today, if we, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that. But here's the main, main crux of it. Okay. If you die before you die, when you die, you won't die. Yeah. So for our listeners who are going to wonder what the hell Where is Dimitri going uh, now? Or, or that's the Dimitri I know. Right, right, right. <laughs> so when, so if you die, when you die. No, if you die, I know it's, a, it's right. a, if you die before you die, when you die, you won't die. I see. So if you die before you die, meaning before your biological death, yeah. you die sort of, there's some simulation of death. Yes. Um, so, I mean, in, in modern culture, we have certain words that kind of just, again, it, you know, just sort of it permeates uh, thousands of years. We'll mm-hmm. say like, I'm born again. Right, right. Know, or okay. uh, you have to hit rock bottom. 
Right. You know, it's it's there in different forms, you know. Right. Or in Christianity, you know, Jesus on the cross, he dies, comes back to have eternal life. The same sort of concept, right? So what's like an example, uh, a practical example of this uh, kind of um, slogan? Like, would you say that that means like, like, what are you searching for? Do you, you have to is? hit that rock bottom? No. Um, like, so, that- so the ancient in the mysteries used to use, um, um, it's been researched, they used to use uh, different types of concoctions, drugs, mm-hmm. some in wine form, beer form, and they were finely tuned. And then you would go to, um, in the case of ancient Greece, you'd go to this one place, 13 kilometers outside of Athens, Ulysses uh, uh, Eleusinia, it's called in, in, in Greek. Um, it's, I passed it. Ironically, today, it's uh, full of refineries and stuff. So it's completely, it's almost right, right. tragically the opposite of what it used to be. Um, but you'd go there and have an experience. Plato went there, Socrates went there. And you would have, you would trip out on what the uh, goddesses, they were always, you know, goddesses, the priestesses would right. give you. They would enact a play in front of you. And you'd see something come out of it. And you would never tell anybody what you saw, but you'd be a changed person. In general, I think what's happening is that you're peeking behind the curtain of reality, seeing yourself as not just the ego that you are, but there's just something a little bit more out there. Mm-hmm. And then the curtain closes. And once you've peeked behind that curtain, you'll never, you know, the mind once expanded, expanded never goes back to its original dimensions. Like, okay, no, there's definitely something. I've just had the most profound spiritual experience. Yeah. Now, you hear that sometimes. There's been studies, like through John Hopkins, they did studies on... Uh, um, different types of mushrooms that gave these sort of like LSD effects and mm. groups of people would be like, this was the, on one single trip alone in a university setting, this was by far, even though I'm an atheist, the most spiritual experience I've ever had. Right. So we're sort of rediscovering this a little bit. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that sort of like takes the um, the brunt of the, uh, what's, what's life longevity really mean if mm. um, all this is sort of really not the only thing that's out there. Yeah, there's a that my consciousness will exist beyond my physical body, and that that really you know, you, you know I'm not saying I want to live to 120, 132, very very full life, mm-hmm. but deep down inside you know somewhere like you know, um, life is far the the magic of life in the universe is far more complex than we could ever possibly imagine, and uh, simply trying to extend it through pharmaceuticals and uh, mechanical ways is really not going to it might actually increase suffering. Because you may never actually get to see what's behind the curtain while it's still living. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, um, I had, <laughs> shocker, uh, just bad experiences doing like mushrooms. So mm. um, I, uh, although I think I had a pretty good experience one time with, or no, I, I anyway, I don't know. But uh, I, I've had mixed experiences. But I remember one time I had a horrible experience, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just not the kind of guy who can do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I hear people speak of it, and I, you know, red doors of perception and everything like that, and like, and then you hear like, you know, Timothy Leary, and you yeah. hear people like, you know, and you yeah. always see, think it's like it well, sounds magical. There's an like, art to it. You're not, you can, yeah, you, yeah, you have yeah. to like put yourself in the right, like like the priestesses would do. They would set you in the right conditions in order right. to elicit this sort of response out of you. Yeah. So it isn't just like sitting in your basement and, you know, watching Beavis and Butthead tripping right. out on something, right? <laughs> right? Although it may get you there. Right, right. You know, yeah. it, it may not. And some people need more than others. Like some mm. people might just be naturally tuned in. And they yeah. just, they're like this, I get it. I get it. This is not, this can't be the only thing. I just feel it. Yeah. You can't read it. You can't, uh, you just need to experience it. I think, I think, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I 
understand it in the way that somebody who, you know, um, even in university, like I remember like friends of ours would sit there and like, kind of like look at this painting or look at, they'll be just looking at something on their wall for like hours and be like, I think to myself, like, that's really like, it looks boring, but it's also like, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? Well, this is thing. something, nothing the rational mind can understand. Right, right, yeah. We're literally stepping away from <laughs> rationality. No, I know. There you go uh, being rational again, Jason. I yeah. know, but, it, it, but it, it's fascinating. I really find it fascinating and I believe, I believe it. And I do believe like, um, you know, uh, I think that there is, you know, we're sitting in our world where it's just frothy with like, um, uh, uh, like intrigue and mystery, like mm -hmm. the, the, down at the quantum layer, you have like this, um, sort of everything is sort of indefinite and ephemeral and, um, nothing is, um, nothing is as it seems. And which is really, um, I get, I get that on a sort of a, almost, I guess a, a spiritual level, but I've never had that level of, um, you know, I guess insight or whatever, where it connects with me in a, like, I, I I'm afraid of that, like yeah, no, th that I, kind of insight. Cause it's like, whoa, like there, you got to cling to something, so right? So at like, this point, I, I don't know, but maybe you just have to experience it. This is the same goes back to sitting on the mountain, right? Yeah. It's like, um, do you want, but it's like, I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm spiritually ready for that mm -hmm. yet, but like maybe I would never be ready. And that's the problem. And that's like, well, what is this podcast about today? Like, are we, are we seeking meaning for life or are we seeking the experience of being alive? Right. There are different things. Yeah. Are we looking for the meaning or actually the experience of it? Yeah. That's a good point. Right. That's a good point. So, so that the life experiences that we have on a purely physical plane will have some residence within that of our own being and reality and we'll actually feel the rapture of being alive. It's a feeling. Right. It's a, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a faith-based thing almost. I don't, I think yeah. this completely departs from rationality. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, and in the same way that sort of classical physics and quantum physics are you know, misaligned mm. kind of thing. You know, everybody sort of searches for the theory that's going to unite those, but I don't, to my knowledge, there's been nothing yet. So or to your point of a bad trip, like, can you really, can you really experience the rapture of being alive if you haven't experienced like the, uh, the actual, like, um, the opposite of that? Right. The horrors you know? of, yeah. of hell or whatever. And you're like, okay, this is game on. This is real, you mm -hmm. know? And actually there's more beyond this and I don't need to fear it. But, you know, the, the eternity is now. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. The, the be here now, be present now sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I think that if someone can embrace that within their lifetime, that has got to be one of the most next level ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just to go back, like just to give you a bit more a clear definition here of uh, the process that I'm sort of talking about. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was the secrets of Ulysses. So you went there as a mortal, but you returned immortal. Like you didn't, you didn't, this didn't affect you anymore. You right. came back a changed person. Um, you went as a, and you know, you went as a human being and you came back as a God. And I, and I use that with a little G because obviously mm -hmm. you want the, the whole idea is your ego has been obliterated. Right. You've seen beyond your ego. Yeah. You know, from the moment you're born, you're like, this is my hand. This is my name. This is what I look like in the mirror. And you're literally stripping that away and going, no, 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 none of that actually matters. There's actually a consciousness that exists beyond my physical plane. Right. You know? Um, and this in a sense was the, um, 
this was the real religion of the ancient Greeks. And it may sound like, you know, trippy, but these are the same people who built Western civilization, democracy, the arts, the science, the, the theater that became our Hollywood, the Olympics that became our sports industry, the marketplace of ideas that we take for granted every day on social media. This yeah. wasn't just something like, it was like mentally hacking themselves. Like there's actually a way to like hack our bodies to see beyond that which we are. And it was so freeing that it created basically the birth of Western civilization. Right. It was completely blowing the box apart. Where in some ways you could argue Christianity was putting the lid back on the box, mm. creating you know um, parameters of behavior in a right. sense. You know? But I think that that's it's it's a, funny enough uh, kind of goes to the Tao, you know, because you're mm. thinking of like you've got to have a little bit of some like you need some structure there. Otherwise, like you can, everybody walks around doing LSD all day, and it's like you don't have you know <laughs> well, you're not running water. These, these people who went to these ceremonies did it, you know they were lucky if they did it once in their lifetime. Right, it was their mecca. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. yeah. Um, an interesting side note from the book, though, um, when Christianity did take over and you have the very same motifs, die on the cross, come back, have eternal life, and you drink from the chalice, the, the wine, which was the, uh, for all you know, this could be the body of Christ. It's the exact same process as though you drank from the chalice with the high priestesses. Right. Except I heard in the book they were explaining this. For the first 400 years, that chalice in the uh, early Christianity days was still laced with the kind of drugs that would give you that experience. Right. So in a sense, it became very democratizing because then instead of waiting once in your lifetime, you're getting it every Sunday. <laughs> right, right. And that would explain <laughs> this. This is amazing. <laughs> and then over time, that element was removed and it became just more of a placebo and a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of then became detached, though, from that sort of spiritual yeah. experience. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that that explains sort of the dwindling church participation. It's yeah. like, uh, they're like, this doesn't do anything. Yeah. What are you talking about? Body yeah. of Christ. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but so it, 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 you can see how it would have caught on. They got the, you know that thing yeah, you can yeah. only do once in a lifetime? Yeah. We're going to do it every Sunday. Right, right. right? <laughs> yes. And then, and then perhaps for reasons I can't understand, like, of course, society kind of went through a negative part of that because it was too often. And then the church decided... Let's take that out of the chalice yeah. and just make it a metaphor for what it is. Maybe they'll start putting it in again, get people in the seats. <laughs> um, I think it would work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, then, are we going through a rebirth in society now with the legalization of these drugs of a sort? Is this a sort of human consciousness going back to its ancient roots? I don't know, but you're you're kind of blowing my mind today because like, yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with everything. Like yeah. it's I I like. Because there's this this kind of topic elicits so many different um, thoughts, and like there's so many things that I that 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 I want to cover. Like um, there is a lot because you're, you're talking about like like you said like what's the meaning of life, and then uh, you know sort of um, how to live a good life because they are probably they could be separate things, um, or maybe or maybe they're not. Maybe it's um, maybe the meaning of again getting back to what you were saying before, where there was like. Um, you know, if you were a an unborn soul and you're like, I really want to have that experience of living. And when you have that experience, it's like, what do you want to do? Just lay on the beach? Like, no, you want to like go through the experience of being well, alive. Like, like getting, getting to know thyself. Getting like, to know thyself. Like, what yeah, yeah. is the root reason why you're here on this earth? Right. And if it is to play the safe person or to raise a family or something like that, that's your, that's your, that's your thing. That's what mm -hmm. you asked for to be here for. Yeah. You know, and if it's not, then you, have, you just got to stay true to yourself. Um, and I, you know, I, yeah, I feel like this is very pop culture compared to some of the references you're bringing up, but like, I think of Battlestar Galactica and it's like, you know, you get, um, the, the Cylons, the, the sort of humanized Cylons mm -hmm. and that how 
desperately they wanted to experience human. Like they had all mm. these capabilities, they could have wiped out humanity in sort of the blink of an eye. Um, but they're sort of their biggest, almost like the the um, monkey on their back or whatever mm. was that they couldn't be human. And they would you would see it like play out in the dialogue. Uh, and I'm talking about the you know the recent the mm-hmm. uh, was it Ronald Moore the recent yeah. more recent one, yeah. um, where they you see it in the dialogue where they're just like they would be bitter that they weren't human like they would they would have all these capabilities but they didn't have that experience and to be human is to suffer it's to be exactly you know what i mean so it's like objectively you're like what am i why am i climbing this mountain it hurts climbing a mountain that's strenuous you're putting strenuousness and then it's kind of scary on the top but it's that you're reaching that uniquely human experience of like i'm proud that i did it i i i challenged myself and i overcame the challenge and that is something that is um it's tough to even it was difficult to rationalize like um you know it's like the whole like was it um hilly or hillary uh who climbed everest and it's like why did you climb it because it was there i think there's something to that and it's like i remember having a discussion with my friend one time and he was like you know because i um uh you know i like to run i run fairly consistently and it's um and you know he would say to me like why why do you do that like if you, if there was a pill you could take that you could um, just take the pill and it would you get all the physical benefits of the running would you do it and I was like I don't think I would I think I'd still do the running and it's it it's the toil it's the toil and the, so, the pride you feel afterwards it's going to go a little deep but I think it's exactly something that's been in my mind lately spirituality religion and science are all circling the same thing your experience. And they're trying to solve things with different definitions, but literally you need to experience it. Yeah. Right? So you're like, yeah. I need to run. I need to physically run. Don't right. tell me what running's like. Don't give me a pill that will simulate running. Mm-hmm. I need to run. And you just, it's very, it sounds very like, you know, I don't know, just guru-like, but just, just be here now and go run. Yeah. Right. And they're just using different definitions to try to solve the same problem. Yeah. Well, that's why I think when you read, for example, like the Bible or you read like some of these religious texts, it's it's hollow. Like it it rings hollow. You're like, Mm. you know, the Bible is so important and like the Quran is so important for like people who are religious. So, but, but when you, if you're an outsider, you're like, Hmm, I'll give this Quran a read and just see what what all the hubbub is about. And you start reading it and you're like, you're like, I don't really get it. Like it's not, um, because the reason is because you're not, it isn't just to read, it's to experience. It's to well, like- Again, these ancient Greeks, when they drank the kookion, that, that was, was the name of the drink they had to What drink. was it, the cookie? Yeah, kookion. Oh, cookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows where the root word? Yeah, yeah I can go, yeah. You got some cookies. Maybe. There, yeah, your little cookie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it was to, there was no formalized writing of the religion. It was a religion that was experienced. Right. And that, that was as simple as that. You know, it's really just kind of just a spirituality of a sort. Yeah. And biohacking your own brain to see that behind the curtain for a brief moment, there's more to reality than you, you can possibly just perceive with your senses. Yeah. And then pull the curtain back and you're a changed person. Right. We were talking about uh, in another episode, and I think we've had this discussion before offline, uh, where something like, you know, the metaverse or some sort of inc- incarnation like that, basically a... Or or the matrix, basically a situation where, you know, technology and such be, continues to evolve to a point where humans become, you know, we have the option of simply living uh, a better life by hooking ourselves up to some sort of interactive um, computer simulated reality. And, you know, the, the, the human reaction to that is like, well, I don't want to live in some computer simulated reality, damn it. Um, but if you... Th- maybe maybe that's changed lately, though. 
maybe 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 we're yeah. just sign of our our age cohort. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe younger generations are like, well, don't speak for me. Like, yeah. I would like to live in that. But like, if you think of it, like, if you have everything, if you have, if everything is telling your senses that you're living in a reality, mm-hmm. and um, is it possible to divorce from your mind the idea that this isn't actually real? So that, like, if could you theoretically strap yourself up to, mm. you know, the metaverse? And be online for like I don't know years, yeah. and you know maybe you're, you just have IV yeah. fluids. I don't know how you hook up. Well, them. in the Matrix, the movie, you know, um, didn't people actually if things happened? They actually died. Their physical body? No, their physical body was like kind of convulsed. No, it was like kind of put in some sort of chamber where they were just acting as like a battery. But they were like they were being fed and everything. But they were just like those a blob. ones. But maybe when Neo went into it, like his body used to like shake. His actual physical body was moving in reaction to what was happening inside. Oh, the Matrix. when he was inside. Yeah, when he was plugged Something in. Something yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. But but no, but, but yeah. That's so he was true. having a physical experience, even though he was like you know yeah. digitally in the Matrix. He yeah. was, and yeah, if you die in the Matrix, you sort of die. I mean, yeah. but like okay, so like. But you wouldn't really die. I think that was a bit of a departure from okay. what would actually happen. Like unless Mark Zuckerberg is like, you know, planning to kill people in the it's Matrix. So real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but if you had um, something where uh, you could die, and then it's like, I don't know, maybe it's kind of a big deal. Like you have to make it interesting. I, I hate video games where it's like you just die and then you're reborn. It's like, well, what, what is the struggle then? Mm. You know, that's the, another thing. You know, you always need the struggle. Otherwise, the game is not worth playing even. Mm-hmm. Um, much less the game of life. Mm. Uh, but if you had, if you were strapped into this thing and you could, for example, like you lived out your life, but if you, if you died, if I sat on the edge of that mountain, using that metaphor again, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I fell off, it would be like a big experience, but you know, I wouldn't actually die. I could just start a new game kind of thing. Um, maybe that, maybe you can live out whole lifetimes in that, um, so, for example, yeah, like there's t- infinite possibilities, about, and yeah. uh, you know, I guess in a sense, like infinite uh, lives, just keep restarting. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, in uh, Camus' *The Stranger*, the book *The Stranger*, he he, he um, uh, for those who's not familiar, so he like this guy put in put in prison, um, and this is a French novel from like I think the 20s or 30s or something. So it was kind of like I don't know that whole like existentialism thing um but but basically in the story it's like you know he he's kind of a strange guy ends up killing somebody goes in spoiler alert i guess like but it's been been decades folks it's been almost a century um so he's in prison and as he's in prison sort of on death row he's like looking up into the sky because there's like a window where he can see through the bars and he sees the sky and he's analyzing everything in such minute detail that he's almost expanding the minutes to be whole hours mm. and then mm. the hours to be whole days. And like, you know, if you're, if you lose yourself in that, mm-hmm. um, you can really, time becomes quite relative, uh, which, you know, it is. So like, uh, you start thinking that, um, you know, something like, you know, you might think to yourself, well, if I'm, you know, if I am playing, am I in the metaverse and my character dies, does that mean I have to start a whole, uh, all over again? It's like, yeah, it does. Mm. Maybe you start as a baby again and then you grow again mm. and you might think to yourself, yeah, but that would take, um, too much biological time or mm. whatever, but really the time wouldn't translate the same way. Like time dilation is real. Right. So it's like, like, I think that that, um, would be something that. I mean, anyway, getting back to the metaverse, that is something where you are then in a situation where you can live out 
many lives maybe mm. you can try all kinds of different things see if see if you can you know maybe you want to become like a mountain climber maybe you want to become like a you know a navy seal or something so you go through those experiences but only simulated mm. and that way if you die you can try over again try it over again you have that sort of comfort in knowing that you can't actually die there um unless you die in real life i guess and so all this would be a good thing I'm just, I'm not saying it would. I, I think that instinctively we think that it wouldn't be, but I'm thinking, you know, for, for to play devil's advocate, like for example, like I, I do, I believe in God and I believe in all kinds of things that are like, I don't know that the, for the average person would think of, but I think the average person who's just kind of like either agnostic or atheist would be like, like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Like if you get past the initial, like, it's not really real. Mm -hmm. Like if you can get past that. And I think, you know, generations now, that are coming up are more past that than we were. Maybe successive generations will well, be even more. To your point, uh, to go with your point, I guess it's if they if the experience is real, then it's real, right? Like if you, it's about experiencing it. Yeah, you know. Uh, something in my core still says something's wrong about that. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. hard for me to uh, like. Are we running? Are we running from reality or building new realities? And if we're running from reality, what is the impetus that's making us run from the re the quote unquote real world? Right. Are these people that just don't like their life as it is and see the mountain to climb to build their life as they wish it to be to be too hard and therefore to deflect from suffering, they jump into the metaverse? Because if so, then that becomes like a narcotic. Right, like a narcotic. But think of it this way. Like, you know, if you were, you know, 200, 300 years ago, when your life expectancy is like 35 or whatever, um, and you're spending most of your days like working 16 hours, like you want that to be better. So, you know, whether they see us living now and they're like, well, look at all the spare time you have, look at all the, mm. your health, like you're able to like look in the palaces you live in and, um, and you know, you're not getting like black lung and all this mm. stuff. Like, and, you know, and people aren't murdering each other for trifles, over mm -hmm. trifles on the street. So, you know, we live in a much better society. Of course, yeah. Maybe that's the next evolution, is, is that we've now created something that, like, why is our mind bound to um, what we would call reality? Because it's not really reality anyway. I guess the issue would be is that what you're experiencing there has been curated from somebody else other than the natural processes. It puts a lot of the power in what you're going to experience in someone else's hands. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. Like, what? What is this? Who created this world? That's true. You know? And and am I bound by the same laws in the real world as I am to there? You would be bound by the same. Interesting, right? Well, technically, when you play a video game and you you know you kill an opponent, that's murder. Oh, I thought you meant physical laws. <laughs> yeah. Know? No. Okay. So maybe maybe is that you how choices. real it becomes at this point? Like, does it all of a sudden like so? Is it that? Because if so, then that's or then when you detach from that, you're like, well. I spent eight hours today in a world where I can go around and kill people with no consequence. Now mm -hmm. I'm back in the real world. How do I bring myself back to live in these rules? Maybe they would have um, specially curated worlds for each individual personality so that you could have, for example, somebody who has an inclination to kill people could live in that kind of world. And they're like, yeah, go go nuts. Go kill everybody you want. Wow. And maybe this, that would be... This is a can of worms. It is a can of worms. Because you might actually be feeding their worst impulses. But to what, what, what would be the bad side like what's well then if they've um i don't know um uh like when they've done something wrong maybe the first time is hard and then mm -hmm. repetitive times of doing something wrong becomes easier and easier and easier but if they always stay in the game and it's their curated reality then what difference does it make then he's just have, then they have to always stay in the game 
Yeah, they can never come out of the game. Because <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden you're like, like you know, code. don't tell me I can't go around and do these things because right. I was in this, uh, you know. Yeah, in blah, my blah, blah. world, we. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, I, I think there's so much. It's such a complex box that we're opening up here mm -hmm. that it goes well beyond the, um, do we have the technical capacity to do such a thing? Right. You know, what is the, the psychological, the sociological uh, implications? Yeah. You know, um. Even like, you know, physical relationships afterwards. And what does a father mean and a mother mean? Like, do you have a virtual father and mother versus a, if you're spending more time right. in there than you are in the real world? And what happens to your relationship to your physical mother and father in the real world if you're spending more time in a virtual world? Like, yeah. I, I, I can see this like so deflecting of suffering and a, the positivity of a hard life and growing mm -hmm. in reality through a hard life. You're just, it's a little bit like um, feeding our worst impulses in a... Um, in an, in an narcotic sort of way uh, that um, in the end won't be beneficial for any of us. If I were to take the negative approach. Right. And you're talking to somebody who grew up on video games. I love, you know, disappearing into fantasy world, right. you know. But you always knew at a certain point, one, two hours, that was back. But if you're in there eight, nine, ten hours, if you're doing transactions in there, I heard there's, mm -hmm. there's going to be churches inside the metaverse and concerts that you got to, you know, line up and pay for in the metaverse and everything. Mm -hmm. It does become an alternate. Like, how much time are people actually spending in this new world? Right, but you you have you're taking you're looking at this from the perspective of somebody who grew up without that. Like the reason that we you know we would go for two hours uh, playing the game was because the game wasn't advanced enough, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you had to unplug it because yep. like, well, it can't like make dinner and it can't yep. do this and that. But like, if you're if you if that becomes the world, right? Like. Um, it, it becomes a world that is better than the world that we're in now because, um, at, at least in the sense that, sure. you know, you, you you have more safety. Yeah, yeah. Um, and your world is, you know, you wake up every day and it's like, well, what am I going to do today? I can do literally anything, you know? So it's but like, are I you fly do, today. But are you doing anything? You're doing, I, I wonder if it has to do, it's the same thing with the CGI effects, right? Like, mm. I wonder if it's like you would be living a life and you'd be ostensibly doing everything that you dreamed of doing if you, dreams even exist in this hypothetical future mm -hmm. um and but you but but you're missing that that thing where it's like the old star wars trilogy where it's like those models somehow i forget the way you put it but it's like vis, sort of viscerally tactile you, yeah visceral, that tactile yep. kind of thing you're missing that and your brain still knows i mean but even assuming they conquer all that and your brain can't distinguish between that reality and the mm. physical reality right um so, like, what, what's going to happen on the Earth? Like, it's, it's going to be, I could see it being argued, well, it's much more greener for the planet because now you're not driving everywhere and this and that. Right. Like, it could be all these, uh, the yeah. noble person will always spend their time in the metaverse because your ecological footprint is smaller. Right. Like, I, I just don't. The funny thing is, I think we're going through the same through. thought process the Wachowski brothers, uh, or Wachowski sisters now, mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. um, went through when they created the Matrix because it's like, um, you you know, you get, because they had the batteries, the, the power, the energy was coming from the people. Like, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I guess in theory you would have, um, you would have a, uh, the world would sort of be almost like, I don't know if you'd have like an elite class, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe, you know, maybe those, that's what all these Davos meetings are really about. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have this elite class of people who are kind of like, okay, we'll control, you know, the metaverse or whatever, whatever the incarnation of this is called. Um, and everybody else sort of lives locked in their chamber. They provide their own sort of energy to to yeah. allow themselves to be plugged into this thing, and then they live out their lives. And I can't help but think the elite on Earth won't be found in the metaverse. 
You so think it would evolve? Yeah. I don't think they'll be there. They'll be in the real world because they'll have the money to experience the real world as they wish. I so, think it would be tempting to. I think it would be tempting to go well, into the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I say that not. I mean, I'm not really a video. Or does game it become person, some so. sort of when it further evolves, like a hundred years from now, where yeah. you don't even need to have food and water and whatever else? Like yeah. you can literally just be plugged in all the time. Does it become some sort of digital prison? And you think you're having everything. Why make the prisoner suffer? Hey, why? I will allow your prison to be your dreams as long as you get out of the way and let right, the elite right. have the planet as they wish. And maybe it would be, you know, again, like Cypher in the Matrix, where it's like, um, I feel like people who listen to this think all I do is like watch movies <laughs> and read books. Like, but it's it like, was, a, I've only it was, seen it once. And it was 20 <laughs> years ago. But yeah, oh, I, yeah, somehow you're reminding me of a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, where he's like, why well, I. I like, I just don't want to remember anything. Put me back in the matrix, mm -hmm. but I don't want to remember. Like, you, it would, I think there would become a point where you would have to say, like, okay, I'm in this metaverse, but I don't want to, I want this, I want to think that this is real. Yeah. That's the final kind of hurdle. And yeah. then you just like divorce yourself from reality. And how about this? Or maybe that, maybe we're in that. You know what I mean? Who's to say we're not in a simulated reality right now? Like, I could make an argument that we are. You well, know? and to my point again about the ancient mysteries, when you get to peek behind a curtain, mm -hmm. or are you just peeking at like a outside of your metaverse for a brief moment, and then you're back into your own little personal, what we think is reality here. Right, right. And you're like, oh, no, no, there's actually, you know, something else beyond that, and I'm coming back. So, yeah, yeah are we in a simulation and the real world is somewhere else? We get to mm -hmm. peek behind that curtain for a brief moment? Or is this the really real world? Um, when I was a kid, I used none, to... Nevertheless, sorry to cut you off, yeah. none of this feels like it should be in a digital form. Maybe that's what I'm finding. I feel like digital is um, it's, uh, dependent on power. You know, it's dependent on who makes it, who creates it, who, you know, what world are you stepping into? Whereas the other, like, is this, like, to your question, is this reality? Mm -hmm. Yet, as far as we can tell, you know, it is the tactile, organic form of it all. Well, but what do you, what do you mean digital like i mean so is your problem so, with the with the sort of the practicalities of whether the power no just is or? the digital one like something like we're in a simulation but it is let's say to your point this is a simulation and mm -hmm. the table in front of me is not real and this and that but it is so hyper advanced and so tactile or so born from organic matter in a sense right like it's just on a, a completely like a you know 12 dimensional model of what your greatest fantasies could be with the digital version of the metaverse yeah you know, and, and at the end of the day, no matter what you do with the digital metaverse, it's going to be nothing but a cheap copy of reality. Um, but the the only, no, I don't think at the end of the day, I think right now that's what it would be like. But you're, okay. you've got sort of VR, like virtual reality, you know, will continue to enhance or, you know, mm -hmm. grow. And making those things more, um, but you, you know, making reality more real will be a priority. Be born there. Like you were, you you grew as an infant. You, you came from right. organic matter here. It's, you know, like you know, like it's, but as far as you know, you will have been born there. So like you'll 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 experience the birth and everything, and then if you have like a new lifetime, like I'm saying, like this is down the yeah, road. Yeah, no, bit, I love it. It would it's, be it's like out there conversation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You'd start to have this, you know, multiple lifetimes where you'd have like, um, and at the beginning of a new one, you'd kind of get your slate wiped clean. So it's like you know, um, you know, there's a theory of the universe that is um, this. Uh, it's not like it's a big bang. It's like a contracting universe. So like you, we, sure, we're, we did a big bang, mm -hmm. but then it contracts. Mm -hmm. And you, there will be a point where sort of one of the theories is that the gravity will eventually pull us back in. Like we're still right now, or the mm -hmm. momentum is we're pushing out, but eventually it'll come back in. Sure. There's a theory that 
this has already happened, uh, you know, a lim you know, a, a ton of, of yeah, unlimited amount of times. So we've already had, you know, this conversation, we've mm -hmm. already gone through all this, and then the universe has expanded, and mm -hmm. it's contracted and destroyed everything. And then it's going to do it again, and again, and we just kind of repeat the same thing. But it's thing, still right? born out of the organic world, rather than the digital world. But you're There's something about the digital part makes it seem no matter what it, we can perceive it to be to be artificial. I think that that's your I think that that's maybe you're just taking a kind of um, biased corporate yeah you're biased because you're mm -hmm. living in a corporate like we're biased by our perspective right so it's like I think that you know what we call the digital is just we're just seeing what the digital world is now and, and assuming that the di the digital world is just going to be the same going forward as well um like I think that eventually like even the CGI thing eventually they can probably make it be more um, acceptable to our brain. Like once you understand more about, you know, the brain. I think, okay, this is the future. The future for humanity shouldn't necessarily be solely reliant on the digital, but more the analog. Right. Well, you think that that's more kind of like, it's kind of like the whole, um, you know, in some ways uh, it's kind of like how, um, we need this struggle, whereas it's like it's sort of this in, indefinable quality that that makes us human that almost can't be broken down into a one one and a zero. Where it's like, you know, in theory, somebody, you know, if you had, if you're trying to, for example, if you were trying to teach like an AI to understand what it's like to be a human, if you're trying to like make that AI think like a human, you 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 would have to do that by a digital kind of like sort of thought pattern and it would be full of like logic and it would be like, you know, if then or just have loops. babies, <laughs> right, right? No, but if you, so if you had that and you're trying to teach it how to become human, it's yeah. going to follow a path of like, if then sure, like else. that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure that there would be like a computer scientist and it's like, we're well past that. <laughs> um, but, but really it would break it down to a logic pattern. And how would you explain to an AI? And I'm, I'm asking this question, like, how would you explain to an AI um, that it is a bad thing for a human to be like, for example, to walk up a mountain that, that is a negative because it, you're, you're, you get tired. It's stressful. Like okay. it's, you know, physically stressful. Okay. How do you explain to an AI? But yeah, but it's also kind of good. It's good in a way. Like, how do you well, explain I'm, that? I'm sure you can create some sort of algorithm that will factor in a certain amount of, uh, suffering in order to get, find the optimal amount of reality sort of thing. That's you know? the kind of thing that makes me hesitant about this, where I think that well, like, that kind of thing, because it's, it's a conflict. It's a, it's a conflict of like, like if you think about how you would teach an AI, that kind of thing, like, I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would program that in. Like, what, what is it? Like 20% suffering is okay, but 40% isn't perhaps like, an individual to the person and where they are in their life and their weight and everything else. So you could do all <laughs> kinds of crazy metrics. Yeah. But so then how would you even define suffering? Like what is like 20% of what kind of suffering? Like, is it, is it, is it 20% suffering of is just like you every day, like, you know, maybe like for every hundred times that you, um, go for a run, it starts raining like 20% of the time in, in the middle of it. Like, is that good? Like, there's no real need to put that kind of suffering yeah. in there, is it? Like, I, I don't know. I, un, infinite amount of questions and infinite amount <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, I guess I guess too. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. we're getting probably too far. But, from but going back to the digital versus like, you know, the real world, the analog, let's say, world, I guess even if to your point, this world that we're living in now is a simulation, we simply have no idea in a sense, who the creator really is, mm -hmm. and if it's really a simulation or not. There's a certain amount of faith that we have to take 
on that this is reality. Right. And even science has to have a bit of faith because uh, how can you really prove that we're actually living yeah. at this moment in a sense, right? You're, just, you're starting with a bit of faith from the very beginning. Um, imagine, sorry, imagine how disappointed you'd be if you were like fervently believing in God and everything and you realized it was just Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is a little bit to my point. In the digital world that you're advocating can become as as imperceptibly like the same as uh, as we're living in now. But at the end of the day, we know at this moment that it will be created by corporations and money-making mechanisms and whatnot. Right. And that just doesn't feel in any way right. That's so a good point. If this yeah. is a simulation now, uh, we're so far removed from the person behind the curtain that for all intents and purposes, it is reality. Uh, okay, I have one more question to follow up on with that. And it's because yeah. I, I, I know we're really off uh, yeah. sort of straying here. But what if you had something where society itself created this structure? So you have a decentralized kind of um, structure like the metaverse that is created by some sort of weird voting block on the blockchain. Assuming we know what we're creating. Yeah. You know, like, the, again, if we've been here for billions of years, this has been a process that's been happening in, like, in a sense, creating that algorithm mm -hmm. perfectly, adding all the little metrics on over billions of years. Yeah. And to say that even as a collective 7 billion uh, population on Earth, we can come up to some sort of a perfect world to create that's uh, completely, uh, you know, equitable. Yeah. I just don't, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's a trap. In um, the end, it's going to yeah, be controlled yeah. by a select few who actually won't spend time in there themselves. Right. And it'll be very enticing and you will like it, but drugs are like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And drugs usually have a, a downside as and well. And if we've created a world where like purchasing a house is nearly impossible and relationships are very difficult and uh, affording to have a child is both uh, a, a very expensive and a very hard thing and you offer what, or you can step into the metaverse, you've created an out for everybody. A note that actually deflects from reality. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see um, how, again, if your spirit was asking for one shot on this earth, that's what it would have asked for. Well, or um, what if that that same spirit is asking for the one shot, but it's like, um, you know, a genie comes out and is like, what do you wish for? It's like, I'd like a thousand more wishes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> it's possible. All and, right. <laughs> but yeah, I just, um, it's not, my, my instinct says it's not going to be a healthy way to experience the one shot you have on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think as humans, we do have to rely a lot on instinct as well. So anyway, we should probably wrap up the um, the metaverse stuff now. Uh, I didn't, uh, I guess it went down uh, a bit of a rabbit hole. I, I find that stuff, talking about that kind of thing, really interesting because I really feel like we could really be living in that now. And, and I mean that in a very real sense. I don't see how you couldn't conceptualize what we're living in now to be some sort of simulated reality. There, there would be nothing that could distinguish it. I mean, we have that sort of inherent... Um, um, belief that we're living in the reality, but mm. sort of experimentally with, uh, you know, with quantum physics and, and also just our knowledge of, you know, complex systems kind of implies that we can't be so sure that, that this is actually real. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. Leave it at that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the whole point behind this is to let, like, I guess that gets a little more sort of cerebral and hypothetical. Like, really, we want, you know, people, even if you want to just live the best life that you have for the time that you have, and uh, you sort of um, make the, how do you make the most, I guess, 
in your opinion anyway, uh, sir, uh, how would you make the most of, um, of, of, of a life? So you're just, you know, whatever age you are, whether you're middle age or like, I don't know if that's something that actually be broken down. Like, is, is it too late sometimes or can no. you? No, no, no. I, I'm a diehard optimist. It's never too late for anything. Okay. For real. Okay. Why, why? Well, that's reassuring. Yeah, no, just, <laughs> uh, just, just cause I say it with authority. You know, <laughs> no, um, why, why would anything ever be too late? No, I, I, I know. Um, I, I just, uh, well, you think, be, I, I guess I think of it in terms of like changing your career, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, people will be like, oh, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's like, you can't really. Like there's certain professions that start slipping away after a certain point and it gets less and less realistic to change your career to something. Um, but yeah, I guess this is uh, not necessarily like that. Like you can. Well, as I mean, okay, being more practical and I've experienced this myself and it's made me a little more conservative as I got older. But the one thing you have in abundance when you're younger is the one thing you don't have when you get older is time. So you, right. you have time to recover from any, you know, like you said, uh, leaps that were a little beyond what you should have done sort of thing. Um, and so that's great. And that's why I think you should really try to front load your life with the more bigger risks earlier because you have time to recover from them. And as we get older, we have simply less time. So you have to be a little more careful with your decision making processes. And hopefully experience will help you make better decisions at that point. Um, so yeah, um, what, what was your question though? I kind of well, whether if you have um, whether age is a factor in sort of so you're about to I think go into some uh, some activities I guess that uh, mm. one can do to improve their life their life, and I'm just wondering if that there needs to be a preface that that is. You know, is this, are, are you going to be speaking to, I guess this kind of thing is like if we had prepared beforehand mm. to coordinate our, our preparations, uh, this, we could have ironed this out, but, um, it, no, I, uh, I like this. I like that on the fly. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's more spontaneous. Um, so anyway, well, why don't we, why don't you just go into it? We'll assume mm. like, I didn't know if you were going to be like, well, if you're young, if you're like, you know, uh, 16, this is what you should do. And T- to live a good life, I think is quite similar across all the age groups. It doesn't, mm-hmm. I think, you know. We look, look, the world has been through a weird time the last two years, you know, and um, we've all experienced um, it differently. But um, I think we've experienced very much what it's not like to live a good life, you know? Yeah. So social isolation, uh, languishing, a lack of perhaps meaning, necessity, you know, people have been left, uh, you can't leave your house, you can't go to your work. Like all these add so much texture to your life that once removed, you think, wow, the burden has been lifted from my shoulders. But actually, no, you're not any happier for it. Right. Well, I, I do think it's interesting that, that COVID really seems to have brought about um, a change in the workplace at the very least. Like a lot of people are leaving their jobs and finding something out, presumably to find a new, you know, presumably the thought is that they're sitting around. They're like, you know what? I don't even really like they're reflecting more. Maybe they yep. have more time to reflect. And they're like, I don't, I'm not even doing what I want to do. But it's a real thing. Like, I, you know, and it's like really affecting the job market, like in a major way. Oh, it's yeah. interesting. Like, it's not just a... You can't just shut down society for two years and then with a flick of a switch, turn it back on. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest mistake politicians have made. Yeah. You know, like um, it's, it's a very synchronous sort of um, organism. And just like it, you wind it down, you have to slowly wind it up. And so everything right. falls into place in equilibrium. And uh, yeah, so for, for me, over the last two years, it was kind of a renaissance. I, I just kind of realized had this, uh, my business was shut down. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit there and like, try to keep life going as it was because i'm going to fail so take this energy and just go with it and it was it was amazing like i 
had a ponytail for the first time, which doesn't look good on me, but it was kind of symbolic of the time. Like, I don't, don't remember the ponytail. Yes, it was very, yeah, very few selfies. Yeah, my hair was huh. ponytailable. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And um, trust me, I know lots of uh, hairdressers that work under the table and I could have got a haircut, but it wouldn't have been part of the energy of the time. Just take, take the moment for what it is and go with it. Adapt, yeah. you know? Um, and it was fantastic. And one of the things I discovered during the time, something I'd like heard about for years, I just never had um, the time to really invest into it, was I started getting to the uh, deep breathing and the ice baths, you know, which have been really been made popular lately by Wim Hof. You've heard of Wim Hof, right? I have, but maybe yeah, <clears throat> for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, he's a Dutch man. Uh, sometimes he's known by the Iceman on uh, YouTube. I believe he's got something like or had 29 world records all regarding like extreme like a running in a desert and uh, <laughs> just swimming underwater for un- under ice water for yeah. like the longest period of time be submerged in ice for over two hours. Do you think yeah. that <laughs> do you think that after he's done making love with his wife or whoever he says ah the Iceman cometh. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> you don't uh, need to resist. Uh, maybe he does. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe women Speaks fantasize about on that. himself in the third person. <laughs> Please, I need to make love to this man, right, so he says this. Right. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, yeah, okay. no, that's fantastic. Um, who knows? Yeah, so I, I, I really got into it. I mean, you know, being practical, like when you have uh, limited time in your day and you have the option between. Shall I do some deep breathing or push-ups? You're lucky if you do push-ups. So I had nothing but time, so I got into the deep breathing. And, um, you know, like... So what is the deep breathing like? Is it just holding your breath for a certain amount of time and then exhaling? or? Yeah, there's a a, three steps into it. Um, You can do rounds. In each round, uh, you do about 30, 40 deep breaths. Um, You can play with whether it goes in your nose, out your nose, in your your mouth, out your mouth. It's your sort of... You'll figure that out for yourself. And then, um, then you, once you've done your 30, 40 breaths, you hold, and you hold for as long as you can. And if you follow the YouTube videos, they can come in different increments, 30 seconds, one minute, one minute and a half. The idea is that with each repetition, you hold for a little longer. So you'll do three or four rounds, five, six, and that's it for the day. And then you come back to it the next day, the next day. To, the next well, day. to what end uh, are you holding? Like, what is the goal? Just so you can escape so, from... Uh, oh, okay. So, I mean, from a from a chemistry point of view um, because there's lots of real science behind us you know i don't do guru charismatic leader stuff i think it can be quite dangerous uh increased uh circulatory vascular uh, so you're flexing the kind of blood vessels almost yep you're um and 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 the the final goal the most unbelievable uh, scientific discovery that came out of this is that our autonomic system is not so autonomic or automatic we can actually control it. Mm, and this okay. is groundbreaking. So is that this, like talking about circadian rhythms and stuff like that? Uh, and no, more like, you know, controlling dopamine levels and adrenaline oh, okay. levels and stuff in your body. So like, you know, if I said to you as we're talking here, raise your heartbeat to 80, you, you can't do that. That's your autonomic system, right? Or right. give me a rush in your blood now of adrenaline. Right. You can't do that. That will happen if, a, you know, a bear jumps out in the woods. It just automatically happens. Well, all these processes that for, since the modern creation of science, we thought they were just automatic processes, are not so automatic. Well, you could increase it by like, you know, going for a run or something, right? No, no, no. just sitting and Oh, just sitting here, okay. With the power of your mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But, yeah. But is it, are the breaths involved in that or is it just... So it's a, it's a, I, I, the way I experience it is it's like I'm, I, uh, through a physical means, I'm learning to 
to use my mind to control my body. So mm. I don't know if I could ever just get, get my mind to control my body. But when you experience independently what your mind is and what your body is through the breathing, this is my big sort oh, of revelation. Okay. I really, it took about a year and a half to get to this point, but I realized, you know, is here your mind and body are one. But I, um, and they, one in the sense they're connected, sure. But I, I did get in February up to my highest. I got, was able to hold my breath for over six minutes. That's unbelievable. And when I started a year ago, anybody can do it. And when I started a year ago, it was like, wow, 30 seconds, a minute. That's pretty far, right? That's crazy. I've never held my breath for a minute and a half. Wow, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't hit it six minutes each and every time. And the um, thing that I've noticed is that the more focused my mind is on my breath work, and then where I put my mind when I'm retaining my breath has a direct influence on how long I can actually hold my breath. So then I start to see my mind and my body as actually separate entities. Like my mind, this invisible, incorporeal sort of thing over here, mm-hmm. is able to control my physical body. So kind of like when you look in the mirror and you see yourself, but you can't see your, your mind, I was able to sort of experience the mind through the deep breathing. Okay. I know it sounds completely out there, but it was, um, that's what I felt and what I experienced. So that becomes a form of meditation where you're kind of physically putting yourself into a meditation. Right. And I'm too like hyper to just like, I'm going to sit down in the morning and meditate for 30 minutes. Not yeah. really my, my natural way of being. Um, but when I do the actual physical, uh, breath work and then hold, I'm physically putting myself into a meditation and it's fantastic. Uh, and then basically, I think, as Wim explains it, you start to actually like your frontal neural cortex, you can sort of like also like just deflect things like there was a one science experiment in Europe, they um, injected him with a, uh, a neurotoxin, I think it was like E. coli, and they had done this over 19,000 times. And they know that you should now have an immune response that will increase your like, you're gonna have a fever, you can have a headache, you're gonna be short of breath, all the, the usual symptoms. And they injected him absolutely nothing so like wow how did that happen and they checked his blood work he was able to make his adrenaline spike and suppress his immune response so therefore he didn't experience these uh symptoms well did he get e coli then if he suppresses his no. immune response no mm. so then they good question though so then they did a 12 person experiment and he trained them i believe for about 10 to 12 days uh on how to do the breathing and i believe there was also the ice cold baths involved as well so what's the what's the deal with the ice cold baths? You just well, go in them. Or, I'll or get you, to that. Okay. But the interesting thing is that in just ten days, all twelve of the participants in the study at the university did not have an immune response to the E. coli when they were injected into them, which proves that in a very short period of time, it, your body can be very easily trained. Okay. You know, we've become a little too soft in this modern world, and we've become detached from like the wild animal that we once were. Right. You know, so. Yeah, in this case, you're able to control your immune response to a, to a toxin, which, you know, in the age of COVID is quite interesting too, right? Because, yeah. I mean, and not just COVID, anything that comes along, you're just looking for overall health. But uh, I found that amazing. And just, just feeling myself grow. And I've always had light asthma this year. Last year, I didn't experience any asthma whatsoever. Um, my allergies have been diminished this year. I don't know if it's just a good year or not, but I'm watching it. Yeah. But, uh, and then going to the cold... There's uh, two main ways. You can either like really go into an ice bath or into a cold lake, or as I do, I just take a very cold shower. So what you do is the you take a regular hot shower, and then for the first week, you take like 15 seconds at the end of your hot shower, you do freezing cold. Right. You're going to hate it. 
Like it's, it's you're like uh, 15 seconds. Just get, yeah, 15 yeah, 15 second blast. Sure. It's okay. it's terrible. Yeah. But next week you're going to try 30 seconds and you're going to hate it a little more. <laughs> like this, right. this, why am I doing this? Sounds great. But then you go a little further and this is where you're pushing through. It's like going mm -hmm. to the gym. You hurt when you do it, but you have to wait a while to see the effects. So then you hit the point where you will be in there for a minute. And you're like, okay, actually it's the process of getting cold that is the part that hurts, not the actual cold once I've gotten used to it. Right. So now you're in there for a minute. And then I, I stay about five full minutes now at the end of every shower, mm. and, and I do a freezing cold five-minute shower. Yeah. Um, and each and every time, I still kind of go, am I really doing this today? You may take a day off. And I'm like, just, I just, don't talk, just do it. Yep. I just don't go right it. for it. Yeah. Don't just, just, just go. Because you'll talk yourself out of it otherwise. And as soon as I do, because I've been doing it, like your body knows how to adapt. And um, this is very good for your vascular, your uh, cardio. And you get a massive dopamine hit. So for people who have anxiety, depression, and even new research for Parkinson's. Mm. So there's nothing but health benefits from it. Well, how come you're getting a dopamine hit? Is, is, are you getting the dopamine hit after, like when you come out because you're so... Somewhere in this time when the water hits you and the okay. time you do the duration, obviously the longer you're in there, the more of a dopamine hit you're going to get. Mm. I think what I read was like 250 times your resting rate of dopamine, Okay, which is phenomenal. So that's why when people get out of it, you're like, I don't like doing it, but I love how I feel when I get out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. and it's natural. No pills, no pharmaceutical companies, no huge cost. It's just you getting to know your body. Well, so that does sound interesting. Um, and because I know you, I, I, you know, and I know you researched the um, heck out of this stuff. Trying to trying to keep the uh, curse words down, so it's, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of hacks. Um, but uh, but it's um, so but but I think the you know the average person listening to this would be like that sounds made up or that Me sounds too. like something to sell snake oil. Completely agree. It sounds right. I uh, you're talking to the guy who moved to Greece for ten years because I don't like the cold. You right, know, right. yeah. But it's not like you're experiencing cold in like some sort of aggravated sort of way. You're mm. using the cold as a tool to experience something more powerful. So, so is it's it, a tool. So is this an experience or is it like, are you gaining from this um, health benefits? Do you feel like you're able to sort of, well, like you said, I guess you don't have your asthma. Sort of yeah, no, um, the research shows, um, you know, whenever you improve your vascular and cardio system, right. your dopamine levels. And yeah, there's huge health benefits. Right. Is it uh, inflammation to bring down? Inflammation? Yeah, it brings down inflammation, yeah. which is the mother of all illness, you know. Um, and yeah, it's a... Uh, another little psychological component is... Um, when you start your day, and let's say I get this out of the way early, the first task for the day is done. And now you get the ball rolling. You get, the, right. you get motivates you. You know, you're, you're, before you even stepped out of the shower in the morning, you've right. done one of your first tasks. Well, I imagine it certainly wakes you up too. Like you, don't need a, <laughs> you don't even need a coffee after that. It's just like. Yeah, I get, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad you can joke because I, I get so, so passionate about it because I'm so, my mind is blown. Like I can't right, believe right, right. I'm experiencing this. Yeah. And uh, I, I, do not like the cold, you know, yeah. but I, again, the difference is that I don't experience this like a cold on a cold day. This is like, I'm going into it for a certain, I'm looking for a reaction. Right. And I'm getting that reaction and then I'm moving on with my day. Task completed. Okay. Well, that sounds, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Highly too. recommended. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very democratic. Anybody can do it. Anybody can try it. Um, there's plenty of uh, free resources on YouTube and, uh, I, I encourage the whole earth to do this. I think it'd be a better planet if everybody did this. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, always I feel like I've, I've never been one, probably like you, like I haven't, um, I haven't, I've tried meditating. Like I've always wanted to be mm. into meditating. I like the idea it of it. It sounds nice. And yeah, it sounds, yeah. yeah, it sounds good, like a good way to focus and everything, but I've never been somebody who's had the constitution to, mm. to do it. Like it's just too, um, like I like my runs, my runs, I guess it would be my type of, it's the time I reflect on things, but it's not really meditation. It's yeah. just like, you know. Yeah, but one's physical health is greatly influenced by one's emotional health. Well, and vice versa. Sure. Right? Like like one's emotional health. I, I like I always tell uh, my partners like when I go for a run I'm like, yeah, I'm, I have to go get get rid of the crazies because it's like mm. if I go like a few days without it, it's like more and more like sure. I feel like like I'm just snapping at everybody yeah. and like um, feeling like uh, you know So you're learning good. to control the chemistry within. Right. And you found you found a method and something is being secreted when you're doing that, you know, mm -hmm. the runner's high as they say. And, right. you're, and you're you're experiencing that. Yeah. Basically, that's what I get when I go into the cold shower. But so I guess so. That's good. And and um, I think that there's also what I I think to be sort of a fully actualized human. I think a really important part of being human is to connect. Uh, I can't say it without it sounding hokey, but connect with your spirituality. Mm. Like even that word is like <clears throat> nails on a blackboard because it sounds hokey, but it's like. Um. Again, for me, I believe in God, so it's like I have, um, uh, you know, and and um, there's a whole um, like I think it's important to kind of get in touch with that, like you know, you know, and there's no presumption of what God is or whatever. It's just like um, this ineffable something, and like for me, getting in touch with that and sort of my relationship to that, and just uh, like the world in general in that context i think is important like i think it's important to kind of like recognize it's a it's it's a humility of realizing that um none of this stuff really matters that much like this whole day to day how much you make like mm -hmm. um and it sounds a little bit trite but it's like even even you start getting into more and more bigger things like you know um you know uh, i don't know like oh did i do i have an illness do i have like um, does somebody I love have an illness? Is it, um, you know, where, where am I going to, where am I going to move to? Where am I going to, where's my next, um, paycheck going to come from? All these issues, you, you can really reduce them down. Like, you know, a very immediate practical thing. There, there is a human, you know, you, you know, you're faced with challenges when you, when you, um, when you're faced with those kinds of, um, problems. But I think it's important as humans that we recognize that at the end of the day, there's something greater that, um, that, that is out there that is, that is, uh, that we can connect with and that, you know, we all die. We're all experiencing this, this plane for a certain amount of time and then something else happens. Um, mm. and I think that that's, if you realize that, and if you sort of like can connect with that in some way, mm. um, I think that that's, uh, you know, and I know there's lots of people who would have a problem with that. It's like, well, there's, you know, certainly no proof of life after death or anything like that. And it's like, fair enough. Um, but again, this goes, it's something that goes beyond the logic, right? It goes beyond the rational mind. And if you can intuitively, I think that, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, even though meditation doesn't work for me, I can understand that maybe meditation uh, might be a way that some people can connect with that. Um, well, I think that, and I think that's kind of what Buddhism is, isn't it? Like to some extent, well, it's like, yeah, like that connection with the. Uh, I, I would say it like this, like, and you're saying it, but I, um, and let me see if I can just try to condense it. Yeah, you are the master of your own chemistry. You know, uh, what would be your choice? Happiness or gold? What would you pick? 
I'd pick gold. <laughs> Mr. Bitcoin. <laughs> Always gold. <laughs> you know, uh, so let's just assume it would be happiness, okay. right? You know, and, and if you want gold, the real gold is the light within. It's not, it's not the gold we're thinking of. It's your nervous system. You know, you want to enlighten, de-block that nervous system and become the full light and radiance that you are. That's, that's the, the real gold. Right. You know? Um, and if you like happiness, happiness is, is where you are. Just happy. No blocks. Yeah. No fears. No inhibitions. You are just there and present. You know, and you hear that all the time with this uh, sort of the mindfulness, like like the mindfulness, the idea that you always are sort of conscious of yourself. And there are sort of breathing exercises uh, where it's like, um, and I don't know if the Wim Hof thing, if you if you focus on this, but I know in meditation, you know, it's kind of like you want to make sure that you're always conscious of your breathing and you're mm-hmm. conscious of being there in the now. And there's some, um, was it John Kabat-Zinn or somebody does something where it's like, you know, you, you lay down and he sort of talks you through, okay, now feel your toes and then mm. feel your ankles. And then you're just really supposed to think about well, that part get of in your... Get in touch with your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a moment there when, I, when you're holding your breath and you're like, where do I put my mind? And you'll practice putting your mind in different places. And you literally just start to feel your body. Like, where, where's this organ? <laughs> it sounds right, so crazy, yeah. you know? And where is the air in my body right now? And how do I coax the air from my right leg up to my brain where my brain needs that? Because obviously there's oxygen down there. Yeah. How yeah. do I pull it up? So apparently, you know, if you do the Wim Hof to a level I'll never reach, you can start to actually like change the flow of oxygen within your body. Mm, you can start to like, uh, like yeah. just really, it's all in the body. Some you just superhero gotta, stuff. It's quite, so, yeah, and I don't think I'll ever get there, but, um, but I can see it being possible now. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's something I would have never been able to peek behind that curtain and go, wow, there's power here that I mm. never expected. Yeah. Like it's interesting when you, when you think of a sort of a subject like this, where it's like, what is meaning? Like, how do you like make your life more? Um, how do you make your, how, what is a good life? How do you make life better? And like a lot of that is there's it's meaning. Right. And then, so it's like, you know, you want meaning in your life. Like that's, what's important is that kind of purpose. Like, um, so for me, I've always felt like um, I've had a purpose and I've always felt like that's, you, you want to strive toward that purpose. And when you strive toward that purpose, you feel better. Like, mm. and it's almost like you inherently know the things that, and maybe sometimes you have to discover them. And I don't know, all I'm going from, I can't get in inside anyone else's head. Uh, but like, from my perspective, it's like, uh, this is how I felt. So I don't know if this is something that's consistent, but I've, I, I've always felt like there is um, like consistent amongst people, but like, um, like I know it's like going with the grain or as opposed to going against the grain. Like, so, so I'll just step back quickly here. So there's a great book flow. Um, and I, I can never get the guy's name, right? Actually, uh, it's Mihai uh, chick sent but that doesn't sound right. Mihai checks, but it's, um, I think he's Czech or Polish or something. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I came across him on, or I came across this book on, um, a poker forum of all places, like talking about like, um, sort of talking about how to improve your poker game and this and that. And I, um, I have, it's always sort of struck, stuck with me when, after I read it, where it's, he talks about like, um, we are sort of at our most optimum when we're doing something we're really passionate about. And when we're so lost in it, that it's like the outside world almost collapses. So it's like when you 
your subconscious. You have a hockey over. player. Yeah, you have a hockey player who's just really sort of in the zone, they call it. And there's mm -hmm. all kinds of like little slogans that we'll you know, use, right? But it's like, if you're in the zone, you're doing something that you're just like completely immersed in. Um, everything else sort of um, sort of uh, falls away, almost like a, you know, like windshield wipers, just mm -hmm. like pushing down the water to the other side of the car. And, um, and you're just absorbed in that moment. And when you're absorbed in that moment, that's your optimal self. And that is like the peak, sort of the peak existence. And, you know, also you, like, that's where you get these people who are just like experts at what they do. Yeah, you become more than yourself in those moments. Yeah, yeah. For sure. You're just, you're running on like some sort of crazy intuition at that point. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if this is, this is from this book or, or where I got the, the grain thing from. I've heard this somewhere, but it's like, it's the idea that, as a person, I think you inherently know what is, it's like, it's sort of like the inherent, inherent, inherently knowing what is good and what is evil. It's like you inherently know, uh, what things you're drawn toward and what things you're not drawn toward. Like I've been working in a profession for, you know, most of my life, um, where I don't really, I'm not all that interested in it. I, you know, I happen to be good at it because I've worked at it for mm -hmm. years, but it's the difference between, really working at something and eventually you'll chip away at it and you'll get better. But then there's, you can be an sort of an expert in something that you're really passionate about. And you just immediately, it's like yeah. you've, you know, you're like a Wayne, the Wayne Gretzky of, um, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but, um, it's important to recognize that about yourself. I think as soon as you can, like the things that you, that you love doing and then, um, find a way to sort of flourish with that and then go with that, go with the grain. Um, because if you try to struggle against the grain, it's like, you know, and like I've had some successes in my career and everything, and it's not like there are worse things to do. I don't hate it, but it's like, it's not my passion. So, it, so it's always harder. Like, and, and I work with some people who are really passionate uh, about it and they're, they're amazing and they well, can do things way quicker than I can. Not everybody's skill set, you know, in the, this sort of thing you're talking about is going to be monetizable in wherever right. country they're living yeah. in or, you know, whatever year it happens to be. So you know, again, going back to diversity, we need all this range of uh, talents, but whether it's actually monetizable right now or not is just simply luck of the draw. Yeah. Like Michelangelo might be living on the streets if it was yeah. today, right? Yep. Doesn't mean he's not Michelangelo and super talented. Um, so in, in that case, you I think you just done the right thing. You find something you you moderately love, you know, like to a degree, you know, you like the like location of it or who you work with or part of the job. Right. And you put all the rest of your energy into... um. Uh, you know, your weekend project sort of thing. Yeah. You, your yeah, love doesn't have are... to be your work. True. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I think that's a bit of a, a red herring of sorts. Like, you know, live your dream. It's so Instagrammable, you know? Mm, right. And, um, and, and if you can, and if you're lucky enough to, that's fantastic. But then yeah. reality has to kick in too. Yeah. Although I will say that it's, it's, you got to respect the people who really are dedicated. Um, you know, I have a, um, somebody I know who is, um, uh, he's a pilot and he actually teaches, um, pilotry now, <laughs> whatever being a pilot. And, um, he, uh, but he's always known since he was a kid, he was like, that's what I want to do. And he's just followed it. And right now I don't, I, I don't know money wise how much, but it's hard. Like you really have to log the hours and then it's like, you just build up and there's few, it's a small pool at the top kind of thing or flying the big, like seven, mm. uh, 67s. And like, so you get like, um, so you're not guaranteed a really good outcome. Like you might be flying some bush pilot yeah. thing. So it's like, um, but that's a passion, right? And I, I, you have to respect that. Like it's like, oh for um, sure, people who even can manage to eke a living. Like you know, I've, writing is sort of the thing I would say that I'm I'm best at. Uh, and you know, I, 
you know, and this isn't like, I'm not trying to be regretful or whatever, but like, I think people who are really dedicate themselves, like, you know, had I, had I just sort of done that, I would probably be very poor right now, mm. which I kind of am anyway, ironically. But, um, it, you know, if, if I really dedicate myself to that, you know, I, maybe that would have just been a more fulfilling life, you know? Although, to play devil's advocate, I would say I have ultimate respect for somebody who does a job they don't particularly like and put their passions aside because they have a family to raise. I think that yeah, family complicates things. Yeah, it's such, such a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Like, that is that is incredible. That, so, yeah, self-sacrificing. You know, yeah. um, and so uh, yeah, in an idealized world, sure. But this is you know the real, real, really real world. But I think we, as we've proved in this show, this isn't the real world. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think yeah, that definitely. If you have kids, that complicates it because you've you've made a choice to. Um, you know, really just kind of put your life aside for the or someone else dedicated to looking after your parents as they get older or just even a spouse. Like, yes, yeah, there are other things. There are yeah. other things other than like my own personal passions that I'm going to mm-hmm. have to put aside in order to help those around me. Yeah. Or maybe your personal passion is helping people around you. Right. Yeah, so that even go. better, it's, you know, uh, yeah. no, no debate needed at that yeah. point. So, um, you get into then, um, I think a lot of people fall victim to this when trying to kind of search for what is, uh, you know, what is a good life. And, um, you get into that whole idea of hedonism where, Mm. you know, you basically want to sort of, you know, accumulate as, as many pleasurable experiences as you can, uh, for as long as possible. And it's Mm. sort of this, um, um, almost well, it's very, it seems like a very sort of selfishly motivated, but at the end of the day, you know, we are all kind of selfishly motivated to make our lives as good as they can. So do you think that there's some validity in hedonism? Nope. I think it's awful. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> you know, next topic. Yeah, no, because I think it's, um, it's very ego driven, very mm-hmm. self-centered. Um, cause when I hear that, I hear like you're willing to sacrifice, um, duties towards others in order for your own pleasure mm-hmm. and therefore if you want to use the word evil or sin or whatever kind of word you want to throw in there um it's really putting like pleasure first your yourself first your ego first uh, i really don't like anything to do with it why and do you- it, it takes away the suffering that we said earlier is such a powerful and um necessary part of becoming the person mm-hmm. you're actually fully supposed to become well, so, but we do, so we say that though, and I mean, first of all, I agree with you. I'm just more playing devil's advocate here, but mm-hmm. it's, I, I, because I can't necessarily think of the reason why I think that that's such a bad thing. Like on the surface, like our primary duty should really be to ourselves, shouldn't it? Like we, we're the ones who are supposed to be making our lives better and to make our lives better. Like if you want to enjoy yourself, doesn't like, isn't pursuing a hedonistic lifestyle, the the best way to do that. No, I would say my, my, my role on earth is to make those uh, people around me better. Well, who has, in, who has endowed you with this role though? Like this purpose, you know, like where, where, where are you coming to that conclusion that you have There's a sense of morality to it? Like I guess your tribe. So I'm only going to be as good as my tribe. So there's a certain, like, I guess, evolutionary underlying underpinning sort of principle here that I need to look after my, my tribe in general, if I want my own genes to be able to propel themselves into the future, because no one person's going to be able to do that on their own. So do you think morality is something that almost like that is atomized in that you can't really drill down more? So I could say like, why, why do you think that? And you say, well, you point to morality and say, mm-hmm. because of morality and like, is there, well, my own personal you, morals, like, it, yeah. like you can have your own, you know, like 
Yeah, diversity. but I mean, is that reducible more? So can you say, like, because I, I would say, well, where are you getting the morality from? Like, what you know what I mean? Why do you think that it's better to um, sort of protect the tribe as opposed to just pursue your own? Well, I think, first of all, there's an underlying biological process there because, you you're, you know, you're only going to be as strong as your tribe. Like, right. it's just what we've always, that's why we have nation states or villages or, you know, that sort of city states. You know, everyone, it's just always been like that. We've always looked at our small cluster around us mm-hmm. and, you know, made sure that, they were not being uh, outcompeted by surrounding other, like you know, communal structures. But wouldn't hedon- wouldn't hedonistic tendencies be a biological process? Because we would be looking out for number one. Yeah, but if you had everybody in that tribe being like that, your tribe would totally collapse. I see. So then, and therefore, yeah. you'd only live one generation. Right. Right. So yeah. it's I'm not against having a good time, but <laughs> <laughs> you're a little sourpuss. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. But but there's a time and place for everything, mm-hmm. and the right amount of you know, the golden mean, the right measure. Right, right. You know, yeah. Don't fly too high, don't fly too low. I think that... Um, and, and in this case, sorry to cut you off, yeah. this is exactly it. Hedonism is either extreme, either too high right. or too low. And so there's 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 a great logic and uh, truth in just flying, you know, um, yeah, steady eddy sort of thing. Right. You don't want to be yeah. Icarus. You don't want to be Icarus. Yeah. Because a lot of people so forget well for that story. Like They always say, well, he flew too high to the sun and the wings melted. Yeah. But the second half of that was um, Daedalus actually told them, but also don't fly too close to the water because the waves will splash up way down your wings mm. and then you'll crash. Find a sweet spot. And so I think everything in life is about finding a sweet spot. And hedonism is nothing about <laughs> the sweet spot. Right. It's going to be either or extreme. Right. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah, um, I think that... So I think back to Marquis de Sade who... Um, you know, I think had a pretty vivid imagination, but um, obviously uh, very, I think he called it uh, uh, libertinage or something, but it's basically hedonism, it seemed like mm-hmm. to me. And um, I think that you see, so I, because I would think like, you know, he, he, you know, I, I forget when that was, like the 18th century or 19th century, but you sort of see that now, um, I think more and more online. Like, I don't know how much you know about modern day, like, you know, um, like more and more youths are sort of staying in, not not sort of forming relationships and oh, just yeah. like it's almost like dopamine hits going going um, you know going online and they're like you know meeting people and there's just a lot of kind of um, how do I say this without violating some sort of uh, explicit lyric. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of amorous, a lot of masturbation. I think okay. that is just like, where <laughs> where it's where it's just um, where it's kind of like um, very self-involved, very sort of uh, um, in, indulgent, I guess. Where there's no there's no like backbone of like a relationship behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, that, now that's not to say that like you know, obviously, like I think. The online world now is ma- is taking this sort of to the next level, whereas we didn't used to have that in society. Like you know, obviously we always it's always masturbation, but like um, things have become so sort of almost fetishized now that that it's almost reaching this kind of perverse level of hedonism that I think has been kind of technology was like a lot of the reason for well, you're drifting I, I back s- into the metaverse here. Yeah, I know. Well, because you start. G- g- I guess you see where I'm going with this. Like, you know, you get the metaverse, then it's like, like, what's to stop everybody from just like sort of deteriorating to like full blown hedonism? There won't. That's exactly that's exactly why I think it's wrong. 
Why would you not live out your fantasy? Why would you in the include in the metaverse, going back to that, a certain amount, uh, willfully on your own mm-hmm. accord, a certain amount of suffering? You have completely well, blown out the golden mean completely when you do that. Well, but I, but the argument would be like, but why shouldn't people be able to live? I mean, because it's not a good way to live. I'll, I'll tell you something. Okay. In the last few years, like polls have showed that more and more people are feeling lonely. And just before the Corona crisis, 30% of the world reported in not having at least one meaningful relationship. So, sorry, 30% of, of the world yeah. reported in not having at least one meaningful relationship. So they don't have at least one? Yeah. Oh, wow. Before the Corona yeah. crisis. And the problem is so strong, it's very, very strongly correlated with the amount of industrialization. So again, mm. if you want to take industrialization to the, you know, um, digital, yeah, you're yeah. going to hit the metaverse. Right, right. Right. So in the UK, Theresa May created, believe it or not, a ministry of loneliness. Huh, really? Because it's an epidemic. And in the US, the US uh, Surgeon General reported that there was a loneliness epidemic. And it's these things that are so, can be so destructive to society that then allow things that we've talked in previous episodes like mass formation to become even more more and more powerful because individually we're more vulnerable. Interesting, yeah. And you just want, you're craving anything that makes you feel Exactly. Now you increase that loneliness and plop yourself into a metaverse, you're even more amendable to any sort of mass formation um, moment, let's say. You lose your independence as a human being. Right. And that independence comes at a cost. There's suffering, there's going to be toil and hardship. Mm-hmm. But God damn it, you're independent. Yeah. You know? And that's something that the elites won't put themselves in the metaverse, not for very long. Right. They won't right. give up that independence. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, I, I, you can, and you can see it. Um, it's funny just sort of reflecting on it because, like, I think the average person, you know, we're so much more um, aware, we're so much more like, vocal with our feelings now and so much more able to, you know, we don't feel the same sense of shame that we used to, I think, um, in, in sort of talking about a lot of this stuff and like how we feel like mentally, like it's, a, and which is, I think a good thing, um, to a, certainly to a certain extent, but I, I, I do think it's a good thing. Um, and yet, uh, you see, hear a statistic like that and you think 30% and that's just, that's just that don't even have one, you mm-hmm. know? So and like pre COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. So, I mean, that's almost like, I, I bet I would imagine you're almost at like one in two. I mean, you could almost, even if you want to say, okay, let's just stick with those figures. You're almost at sure. one in three people. So you could just go to your work or whatever. It's like one of these three people are desperately lonely. And mm-hmm. you don't, despite the fact that, you know, it's still okay, you know, so you're okay to talk about this kind of thing. You still... Um, you don't hear, I don't, I don't see numbers on that sort of reflecting like that statistic. So it's, um, I guess people just keep it inside. I'll tell you something. This is a bit of a personal reveal here. Okay. All right. In, in my, in my career, um, there's a certain skill set that's needed. And based on your skill set, you'd think in an altruistic world, if the higher you're skilled, therefore the more, the more busier you'll be. Mm. And that's how I started thinking, well, obviously I need to focus 100% on this skill set because that's what's going to determine if I'm actually truly good at my job or not. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed over the years that un- fortunately, unfortunately, the, uh, the amount of work I'm able to uh, solidify is maybe based on like maybe 20% of it is actually the skill set of uh, the technical job that I do. 
Right. The other 80% of which makes me, let's say, in demand in my industry is my communication skills because people need to talk to one another. That's how important it is. Right. Like literally it diminishes my skill set that I'm known as to maybe a 25% is why people come to me for that because the other 75% of that retention comes from simply communicating with another individual in a way they may not get anywhere else. Interesting. And that requires yeah. me taking risks. I'm very honest. You know, I've got yeah. nothing but good intentions when I talk to anybody and I want the best for all of humanity, every mm -hmm. shape, size, color, creed on the earth. But if I feel like um, I'm going to say something that might put the client out in a kind-hearted way, I still say it because I only intend the best. And guess what happens then? You're having a God-honest conversation. Right. And people crave reality. They crave that contact. They crave the vulnerability that I'm putting myself into when I make that conversation. I'm risking it, and they know it. Yeah. And if they see you have no malintent, at a certain degree, like, he's a good guy, man, and I disagree, but, you know, he's talking to me, and my God, I left coming in feeling on one way and I left feeling another way. And right. it's the feeling that sticks with them longer than the actual service. Right, yeah. Perhaps the feeling is actually part of the service, if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. But I had a very technical mindset when I first got into it and I realized it's actually far more emotional. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's my lived experience through it. So yeah. I started thinking one way, came out of it in another way. And I'm happy to be that. It's, it's actually so rewarding for me. And, you know, just uh, you are at the technical side of what you do, I think. Yeah, I'm one, of the, I'm one of the best. But I just want to put in the, in the terms like that, that isn't the core anymore of why people actually come. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it never was in, in that field. Or initially, because yeah. they build trust in your skill set and then you get to know the person on, an, in, on a truly individual basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're making human connections. You know, it, it probably explains why salespeople make so much money as well. Because um, I think there's a not not to equate what you yeah. do with sales, but it's but it's. Um, I, I just mean that like a lot of them are very good at, like sort of at the top levels. I think there's a whole like under you know the people who are just mm -hmm. uh, out of um, college or whatever, and this is their first job. Like obviously, there's not much skill there, for the most part. But you get these kind of like people who are at the top of their fields there and they just really know how to connect with people. Mm -hmm. Like they're really good at connecting with people. And so, and whether it, it like, you know, you say sales, so it's like the sort of implication is like that they're, you know, trying to go about something duplicitously, but really like a lot of them are just like, look, I've got something. I really believe in it. I'm trying to give this to you. And like, we can still like, um, I think that that's that quality of the communication quality, like you talked about that honesty or that reality is something that is in demand, even sort of in the marketplace and on a, on a broad, on a broad, uh, basis. Yeah. I guess people just, they want you to be interested in them and you want them to be interested in you on a, right. on a human to human level, whether you're selling a, a certain product or providing a certain service, yeah. you just can't, you shouldn't get away from the human component, Right. which again, going back to coronavirus isolation, metaverse and shopping online we've kind of really broken that tinder mm -hmm. you know and i think maybe now more than ever people are starting to realize uh especially when you see statistics like pre-crisis uh three thirty percent uh where is that from again where is that from well, the, the i, I can't remember where i pulled it up from but uh i can sort of br br did you say um uh, uh, no it was the world oh, yeah, oh okay it was, was the study in british in britain i don't know Okay. But the the it was um it was big enough to make mm -hmm. both the UK and the US you know declare it an emergency okay and create yeah. whole departments around this yeah yeah so we're experiencing an epidemic right you know 
be a little funny, but like there's a reason why I think vinyl's back in fashion. People crave the tactile. Right, or you the know, analog. Straight, yeah. The analog, exactly. Interesting. You know, and in my business, it's a very tactical, tactile sort of job. There's a certain amount of trust. Yeah. You know? And with that trust comes a bit of vulnerability. If you're willing to be vulnerable, then people are like, wow, he really, okay, he took a chance there, and uh, I can accept that. Do you think um, that we're going to start seeing a pushback, a mass pushback against uh, sort of, uh, I almost want to say like an overreach of technology? Like, you know, I would like to say, like, I don't necessarily want all these apps on my phone. I just want a phone again. Yeah. If somebody were to market it correctly, sure. Um, Maybe Elon will be the guy. He's got a phone in the works, you know. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, man, that guy doesn't sleep. Cool looking phone. Yeah. Uh, Forget, but I think it's going to be very privacy oriented. And I don't know. I heard a rumor it might even be able to draw battery off the network of satellites that are in the sky. So you don't have to charge it. I don't know. Some crazy x factor that like, sounds oh, like elon <laughs> yeah yeah something like that i didn't look too deeply yeah, yeah. into it but there's something going on there for sure so yeah if it was marketed in that sort of way um uh, sure but i think we have at the moment become addicted to convenience right. nothing will kill you faster than something that's marketed as convenient because it will neither right. be healthy or, or or sustainable for you yeah you know you, you start thinking about uh, how uh some of these um nursery rhymes or like children's fables or almost adages from years past eons past even how it all sort of you know why some of them are still around um where their staying power has come from and i would even say like you get down i mean we were talking about this earlier sort of off uh off mic um talking about like the bible and the quran or we might have actually done it on mic i can't recall anymore but um these there's sort of these almost immutable truths that we tend to know instinctively um and we maybe don't have um like i think in this day and age we're we're so uh, focused on data and we're so focused on uh, empiricism like in that which can be sort of um, proven and, um, you know, peer reviewed. And, um, there's a real, there is a real emphasis on fact or like empirical fact. And, you know, you, I guess, I don't know if it started with Darwin or when it started, but it's just, it's been sort of this momentum. And I would say that that's really a good thing in, in, in most cases, but I wonder if there's a tipping point that we've kind of almost gone beyond, because I find like a lot of these things, we tend to overcomplicate things almost to the point where, you know, we have a ton of apps on our phone. We have a ton of, um, you know, where, you know, I, I think about like, you know, people talking about their sexual orientation or their gender and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, how people want to be defined, how people want to be perceived, um, you know, how they're designing their sort of social profiles um, and I wonder if it's just, you have to kind of like turn down the noise and go back to very simple things. I think it, a lot of things, if you re, you can reduce them almost to, um, these ancient parables or like, um, uh, you know, Aesop's fables, a rabbit, the, mm-hmm. what is it? The hare and the tortoise. So mm-hmm. we were talking about that earlier in another context. And it's like a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of, a lot of things are, 
way more complicated than they need to be. And if you just listen to yourself and you listen to your body and you listen to your mind, you can find that sort of like that truth that you want to, that you can find that, that good life sort of inside you. Like, so I'll, I'll say, you know, because, you know, I don't know what the hell I was just babbling about, but like, you know, I, I would say to my way, like my, so when I was a kid, I did this newspaper called what's new and I uh, sort of published it by, <laughs> by publish it. I mean, I gave a copy to my mom and my, my dad. It's a very eighties uh, name. What's new? I know. I know. <laughs> Um, but recently, so, and you know, I hadn't, you know, really thought about, about it for a long time. And, um, uh, my mom out of the blue sent out, um, a sort of a, what a new, what's new. She just resurrected it all of a sudden, like after, you know, decades later wow. and she sent it out to me and like my brothers and, and, uh, how many decades later? Oh, like. Well, you're, then I would be telling you my age. Right? Okay. Well, I know gotcha. you know my age. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. In my so I'm in my forties, but like, uh, yeah. So you know, whatever, three decades, four decades. That's incredible. <laughs> well, I was twenty when I wrote it, <laughs> uh, but you know, I wrote it when I was like eight or something. So like, um, anyway. So but so she came out with it and she did the scene. It was kind of the same style. It was like what's new, basically what's new with everybody in the family kind of thing. And now, so she did it twice, and then she was like, well. Who's going to be next to do what's mm, new? So then, pass the torch. Myself and my partner did uh, did it w like last month, and then my other brother and uh, his wife are going to do it this month, and so so it's now this tradition again. Mm. So, and it felt, you know, when it was sort of our turn to do it, it was like really exciting initially. Like when when she sent it out, I I was like I had the biggest smile on my face, like I just mm. loved it, mm. and then I was excited to do it. But then you know, as as life kind of intrudes, you're like, ah, and I would be saying to you know uh, my girlfriend, like, you know, oh, like I don't have time to do this. Like it's just like I, I don't you know, there's like so much stuff, and it's like I don't want to sit down for like hours and try to do this out. Yeah. And then so we kept putting it off and putting it off, and you know, a couple. I would actually, two months went by and it was the end of the second month. And my mom was like, like, what's going on? I thought you were supposed to do it. <laughs> what's new change? And I could, yeah. yeah. So what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or what the hell is your problem? Uh, yeah. um, and, um, and she was, and, and you know, can I almost sense a bit of disappointment in, in her? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I can't, I got to get this done. And um, so we sat, my girlfriend and I sat down one night and we went through it and it was an amazing experience. Like I loved doing it and she did too. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, we were like, we did up the stories. We kind of like put some pictures in there and we made, we made the experience like a really enjoyable one. And I felt so good about it. I was so excited to send it out. And like the feedback was great, like with, from the family and everything like that. And it just, and now it's this like, you know, great tradition again. And I think mm -hmm. that it's um, like uh, experiences like that. And, um, you know, I would say another thing is like, I, you know, Father's Day last week, I, went for a walk with my dad and we had a really great talk and we actually talked about this podcast and everything. And it was like, um, I, it really, you have those sometimes like where it's just, um, you just feel at the end of the day, it was like, Oh, what a great day. Like, I just feel mm -hmm. so, it's like you get, get out, you go in, we, we went for a hike. So you get, you're getting the fresh air, like you're having a great conversation, you're living the good life, living the good life. Yeah. And I think it's like almost intuition. We overcomplicate it trying to think about like, you're trying to analyze all these different things when really it's like, you need to unplug and take a step back and like, um, just, um, follow your heart as, as Jay, uh, Jason, right as that sounds. No, no, no. Like you can't find it in a book. You know, I, um, you, you are the book and you need to open up. We, we all do. Um, in this sense, there is no thinking, just feeling, you know, the expression like my body is my temple mm -hmm. sort of thing, right? It's not because like we worship our looks. That would be like the very superficial way, you know, right. like 
It's because everything we need is already inside us. And that's what I think you're experiencing here. You know, like this, these memories that are coming back over decades, as you said, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we, are, we are meant to tap into our system, our own bodies, to make ourselves happy, healthy, and strong. Yeah. And there's, it's, totally, it's totally democratic and equitable across anybody can do it. You know, it's, it's the television and the news and the uh, commercials and the uh, social media that just make you always feel like your life will be better if only. Right. You know, if you only you did this or if only you did that. And, you know, if you had this new thing, your life would be so much better. And all these are tools to help you have a little more convenience in your life. But inevitably, you know, no one's going to look back 30 years later and go, man, that, that particular iPhone was the best iPhone <laughs> right, ever had. Right. That, that really made the next five years fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You will never have that experience no matter what the commercial tells you. Mm. Right. So that's where, you know, the simple, you know, we grew up all the money can't buy happiness. You know, it can buy you time and conveniences, but these experiences that you're talking about have nothing to do with cash. True, yeah. Right? And I can just see it in your eyes as we sit here talking back and forth. Like, it's literally, like, glowing. And probably you're, you know, boosting your immune system and everything just by thinking about these (laughs) events, you know, such a long time afterwards. You know? So it's like, it's like the afterglow of living a good life. Yeah. You know? And so that, that's, that's, that is literally, if this podcast, but I think that's exactly what, um, what you experience is what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, myself, like I, I, I've, I've, in that sense, I was going back to the uh, ancient mysteries. I've experienced the, the death metaphorically. And then you realize if you've had that death, then when you come back, nothing can really ever bring you down. You've, you've experienced it. Like I had opened a, an international franchise in a foreign country only to watch the country go bankrupt rather than my own business. Right. And you come back and have to start from scratch. Yeah. And you're like, okay, Usually when you open a business, you're worried about yourself going bankrupt, not the place you put the business. But um, those years there were the most definitive in my life, made me who I am. And uh, I don't know, between that and the Wim Hof stuff, let's say, I have absolutely nothing but confidence and joy of life. Yeah. I, nothing can ever bring me down. Even during Corona, I was probably one of the happiest people you could find in those, despite uh, you know what seems to be maybe like a... Uh, dismay with the political system around us you know because i'm feeling for other people you know not for myself i had a great two years right um but part of that was because i had learned to suffer well and it was totally fine i'm, I'm very um if there was a philosophical tendency i'm very stoic that way you know this this is nothing don't worry right. kind of thing you know because really if you have the basics of life down pat which would be like your family your relationships your own personal health um uh, intellectual um you know, outlets to keep your brain alive and fertile. You don't really need much more in life. And none of that was taken away during those two years. Or, right. by, or by watching Greece go bankrupt. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you ever think just how, uh, I mean, putting in, one of the things that sort of puts, I think, everything in perspective is just thinking about the enormity of the universe and like, um, you know, if you sort of zoom out and you look at the earth in this in the middle of the solar system and like, um, in the sort of like run of the mill galaxy or whatever. It's like, and just knowing the speed that the earth spins around and like all the stuff that's going on around us with like comets and like, you know, asteroids and, um, like there's a certain, at some point you just have to let go of the reins and you're just like, you know what? I am not in control here. I have, uh, you know, you know, I'll, if I'm lucky, I'll be alive for, you know, a hundred years or, you know, in my case, 160, but like there's a certain, um, you have to, like, if you, when you have that knowledge sort of in your head and you, 
um, are able to sort of let go like that and kind of just think to yourself, like let go of the kind of control or the this, this sense of wanting to exert control over your own life. Um, there's a certain freedom in, in that. Like, and I think that that kind of comes with that stoicism you're talking about where it's like, where you can be like, you know what? It's uh, like, it's anybody's guess how any of this is going to end up. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, like Jim Morrison said, like nobody gets out of here alive, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, um, but I think he said it in a gloomier way. I think it's like, there, there's maybe something beyond, you know, you know, I happen to think there is or really believe that there is. Um, but either way, like we live in this world that's just abounding with mystery. And um, if you just recognize that, you know, in the, in the great span of, you know, human history and like cosmic history, um, you know, it's such a small blip that we're even here for. And it's so insignificant, mm-hmm. you know, macroscopically. Um, just follow your heart like that's what that's what really what it is all about assuming right? like, assuming there is such a thing as time and right, eternity isn't right now and ever present right right you know like my mind-blowing metaverse mm-hmm. or analog metaverse stuff you know but yeah for sure um having a healthy amount of ego but not too much ego yeah and learning when yeah. to detach and just step back and have some humility in the situation we find ourselves in yeah, And it's just random luck that we're in Canada at the moment and that we're in 2022 and the technological things we have around. We could have been born at any other time and place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could have been born at any other time and the place in the past or in the future. When you think of it, like, you know, we right now probably consider ourselves to have got the luck of the draw because we're, you know, life expectancy is much higher than it usually is and or has been historically in the past. And who knows in the future, maybe, you know, we'll be living to be 3000 years old or something like that. Um but I don't know. It sort of all comes out in the wash. It's hard to um, uh, like gauge this stuff. You start talking about that stuff, and it's it's. I mean, it's endlessly fascinating. I think we could just talk about like you know um, time dilation and like physics and stuff like that all day. Um, but um, but we're we're wrestling with the same things, and probably in the past, present, and future, we'll always be wrestling with the same issues. Yeah, and you isn't know, I, that interesting to think that like. Thousands of years ago, you know, like, for example, the ancient Greeks were, you know, these are the same questions, you know. If you read through it, it's amazing how urban their questions and ponderings were, mm. you know. And then you look at some of the, you know, going back to the ages, though, like Socrates, uh, Aristotle, Plato, they all live into their 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. So I don't always buy into this whole, like, we live so much longer today. I think a lot of that has to do with infant mortality rates. Right. And if you got past the ages of five, then you're, you know, in a non-warring southern mediterranean abundance of food sort of environment like so far knock on wood like medical science hasn't kept me alive like i just my natural process right you know um and probably from the majority of people i know um you know muddy england in the 1400s a little different right right (laughs) um so but um yeah we've been wrestling with the same questions and um yeah, and, and that, that kind of brings me back. Like, is there even such a thing as time sometimes? Because maybe we're just all part of eternity and the present is like right now. Yeah. You know, like the eternity is now because we all these questions seem timeless. Right. We're literally recycling the same thoughts over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, is there anything else that we should... I feel like uh, there's endless rabbit holes to this discussion and I feel like we could... You know, no, I think we've done pretty in. good I, now. Yeah, at this yeah, point, like, um, it might become more ramblings than actually solving problems. Right, yeah. right. Which we're more than obliged. I have no problem to do, but uh, yeah, I think we're, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, it, it is a big topic, and uh, you know, who knows, an like an eternal can, topic, right? <laughs> we can explore it again at some uh, some future date. But I do think that this is all um, all interesting stuff. 
Um, okay, so well, let's wrap it up then. I hope uh, you know everybody kind of gained something out of this, or like um, um, in- at least enjoyed uh, you know sort of being part of this conversation with us. And um, albeit a very silent part, <laughs> it really didn't contribute much. Uh, but uh, we but, do. But we feel you. <laughs> yeah, we feel you, and uh, pre- yeah, certainly appreciate you listening. Um, no, it's been a pleasure. I always enjoy these things. This is these are the kind of conversations for me that like this is what life's all about. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I really I really enjoy this kind of conversation. I'd like to do more of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks and everybody have a great evening. Uh-huh.